0: Hi, I'm Aaron Douglas. You most likely know me from Battlestar Galactica, where I played Chief Tyrrell. And I've been on a bunch of other things. I was Turtle in the Flash and Dirk Gently's Holistic
1: Detective Agency. I was Gordon Rimmer. That's a fan favorite. Jordy Chin from Ubisoft's Watch
0: Dogs. Watch for more of that. And now I'm writing comic books for Aftershock Comics. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod.
2: Kneel Before Blog presents... Kneel Before Pod...
0: Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that gets invited to all the exclusive parties, Honest. I am your host Craig and we are here to discuss the September news and trailers and other bits and pieces. Joining me for his turn in the news desk is my victim slash contributor for the month, Andrew, hello!
1: Hello, always a delight to be the chosen one.
0: It's like a ritual sacrifice, it just comes around every now and again. Or like being up for the Hunger Games... Maybe
1: And like being a ritual sacrifice, it's often something you just have to accept rather than attempt to fight the inevitable. Exactly.
0: Before we get into our news and trailers and stuff, let's talk a bit about what we've been consuming over the past while. So what's been on your TV and movie watch list recently?
1: Like a lot of people, I have been quite enjoying the She-Hulk series. It's just a lot of fun and also has some interesting things to say in the midst of it. It's also kind of amusing just to you see all the reactions from whining man babies online who have difficulty accepting that some things aren't specifically directly and irrevocably for them
0: i've actually found she quite tedious sometimes because i think it's not an especially funny comedy and it's not an especially clever legal show so it sits in this weird middle ground of not being great at what it's supposed to be for example the bring up interesting implications around, say, the use of magic and who gets to own magic and things like that, and then don't explore the concept at all. And they don't seem to explore the actual legal problem that's at play either. We'll get more into this when there's an actual podcast on the TV show itself. But it's not that I haven't been enjoying it. It's just every episode I come out of it thinking, wow, that could have been way better.
1: It is certainly condensing its ideas to fit quite a quick narrative framework for each episode. But overall, I'm finding it a lot of fun. There's also Stargirl, which I am back doing the reviews of, which are possibly being read by... Tens of people
0: Possibly tens of people, yeah
1: Quite enjoying that overall as well I generally have found the the series to be quite a strong one And the fact that they go in different directions in each season Nothing else indicates that they're actually putting some thought and effort Into not just repeating the same things over and over again
0: Yeah, I think Stargirl really hides its budget limitations really well Because it manages to boost up other elements And focus on character and things like that And when it does deliver on action It tends to be worth the wait for the most part Exactly. And Joel McHale is really great as this over-the-hill, directionless, kind of useless superhero.
1: But still thinks he's really hot stuff and can handle anything and
0: doesn't need anybody. Yeah. He's probably not stretching himself too hard, but <laughs> it's what he's good at.
1: That's true, yes.
0: I always remember that line in the first episode where they lead into his comedic chops where he's on his deathbed and someone else should wield the staff. But not you, Pat. Not you.
1: Absolutely not you. Yeah, Specifically not you. Someone else.
0: Anyone but you. Thanks. I'm going to die now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In terms of films, the most recent great highlight was The Black Phone, which is a horror movie about this teenage boy who is kidnapped by a serial child abductor and murderer and held captive in a a basement that has a disconnected phone on it. But while the boy is there, he receives phone calls from the ghosts of the kidnapper's previous victims to try to help him escape. It's adapted from a book by Joe Hill. If there's anyone at all who doesn't know, is the son of Stephen King. I generally find his writing to be kind of derivative of his father, but the way that this one was done was really, really good, really engaging, and also just genuinely creepy and scary in a lot of places. It doesn't always go in directions that you might expect, so it stops you from being able to predict everything that's going to happen. In a lot of movies, and horror movies in, in particular, that kind of uncertainty can be un- unusual, but very, very welcome.
0: I saw the trailer for that and thought it looked like it wasn't going to do anything new. So that interests me, the fact that you've said that it does do things that are unexpected. Because it was a pretty awful trailer, I think.
1: Yeah, it wasn't the best. Before uh, other people had seen it and had begun raving about it, I wasn't expecting a huge amount from it. But then when I was hearing reactions from a lot of my horror friends who pretty much unanimously loved it,
0: and actually maybe expect a bit more from it and think, actually, this could be pretty good. Cool. Might give it a watch at some point. It's not that I don't like horror, it's just that I find a lot of it quite bland and dull because a lot of, or I find a lot of horror films aren't putting an awful lot of effort in and I suppose that's the mainstream ones that get the big releases, they're the more generic ones. I know that there's the ones that play at horror film festivals that everybody loves and things like that but I don't tend to be involved in that circle of viewership.
1: Yeah, it is actually fair to say that horror is a genre that is very easy to do it very badly, and just leaving you with, as I say, the same generic stuff that you've seen multiple times previously, which is actually a topic that will come up later, actually, in a few things that we're going to be talking about.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Anything else been on your watch list?
1: The main highlight that I saw lately was one where I'm very late to party on, but finally getting around to seeing Prey, which I absolutely loved. It's is easily the best Predator movie since the first one. Granted, that's a pretty low bar to clear, (laughs) but it's nevertheless a fact. Predators was good. It was, yes. I just felt that Predators didn't quite deliver everything that it promised, whereas this one absolutely did.
0: Yeah, in a lot of ways it's just the first film again, but set way far back isn't it? The jungle setting and one person, as it ultimately turns out to be, against the superior alien force and things like that. And the characters
1: that are initially up against the Predator
0: and get picked
1: off by it are a band of macho warriors. Not until I get to the point where one realises that it's almost impossible to defeat a Predator by direct confrontation. So you have to outmaneuver it and outsmart it, rather than specifically just outfight it.
0: Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought Amber Mid-Thunder was a great lead. I didn't watch it with Comanche dubbing and subtitles because I'm not great with subtitles, but it was interesting that they did that and the fact that it was an option that you could choose from. I got a screener of it and it didn't have the dual language option, which I thought was a bit of a shame for sending it out to press, I think. Should have given the opportunity for the press to say this option exists. But then again, what would it have been other than listening to it in a different language but also i feel like you could probably follow it even if you didn't have the subtitles because the visual storytelling was heavily on point so you could miss the dialogue and still follow what's going on i think that's one of the strengths of it
1: yeah absolutely the only thing that you might possibly miss without a dialogue is the nuance in the sibling relationship which is actually one of the things that i really liked about the film not just making it a pure action thing but also giving it some emotional heft as well
0: yeah it was really good it was a Really good example of it, so I can't wait till they learn the wrong lessons from it and make a bunch of crappy Predator films after this again. Yeah, sounds about right. Let's do the samurai one, but let's forget why Prey was any good. That'll be what happens next. But as I understand it, in Predator comics, they've been doing this sort of storytelling for decades. Just shoving the Predator into random time periods.
1: Pretty much, yeah. Because that is one of the great things about the central concept, is the versatility of it. Because it is a very, very basic concept, and... Doesn't take a great deal of effort to place it in different settings and with using different story ideas.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For my watch list, you've covered off two of the things already She Hulk and Stargirl. She Hulk, I think, is okay, but could be way better. And I find it frustrating that it isn't better because it could easily be girl enjoying it and continue to enjoy it. I hope it's not that its last season but I fear it will be because the CW is sinking into whatever black hole of corporate nonsense is going on around it. Which we're also briefly touching on later. Yes. (laughs) I've been watching the Rings of Power series, the Lord of the Rings one, although I have only, as we record, seen two episodes. Don't take that as meaning that I'm not enjoying it, it's just that I haven't watched any more. I saw the first two in the cinema as well, which definitely enhanced it a great deal, but I just haven't got around to watching the other ones yet but I will. I'm going to keep going with it. I did enjoy what I saw the first two episodes, so hopefully it will continue to be as good as that. Quantum Leap watched the first episode of the sequel series and thought it was atrocious. The acting's terrible, storytelling's terrible, the way that they set up the concept is terrible, because it essentially assumes that you know what the original is, because they reference Sam Beckett as if you know who he is, and I do, because of cultural osmosis, but... You could have viewers going into this not knowing anything about the original, or not knowing that there is an original, and I feel like you have to make that assumption. So your references have to either be passive, and therefore not important, or make sense either way. Because there's a bit where they reference the character Al in the original, and again, I'm only halfway aware of who he is, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, but who's Al, and why should I care about what you've just said there? So... Not a great start. I've only seen one episode, and by the time this is out, more will have appeared. I'm going to give it one more, and if I don't like the second episode, that's it. I'm ditching it. Don't have time for that. But I wouldn't recommend it, based on what I saw the first episode. It could just be one of those soulless franchise revivals that didn't need to exist. Yeah, there really is a lot of foreshadowing of topics that we're going to be discussing in more detail. <laughs> Funnily enough, yeah. It's almost as if there's a cycle of everything happening. Right? Still watching Lower Decks, which is one of the best Star Trek series in the modern era. Just great. Yes, agreed. Love it. Funny. Characters are good. Respects the franchise. No notes. Really love it. Really enjoy it. I watched the first three episodes of Andor and actually really enjoyed it. I finally found a Star Wars series that I'm quite happy to watch. Mm. It seems that when they're not throwing references to other things down your throat, that they can actually tell a story. And as I understand it, Tony Gilroy, who came in to do this show, he was the one that came in to punch up Rogue One when it was not clicking with people or whatever. And as I understand it, he isn't a Star Wars fan. So he just comes in and looks to tell a story, which is probably what the franchise really needs, to be honest. Yeah,
1: I agree. Because far too much of the contemporary stuff that Disney is churning out for Star Wars, it's all grounded in nostalgia, and almost the expectation of reusing the same characters over and over again, and recycling the same story ideas agnosium.
0: Yeah, and I imagine this one will get to referencing here and there, because, well, the second season builds up to the events of Rogue One, so the Death Star will have to come up in conversation at some point. And as I understand it, Mon Mothma will turn up at some stage as well, probably Jimmy Smith's I know his name's Baylor Organa, but I just call him Jimmy Smith, because why not? I imagine he'll probably turn up at some point, because they have to, because it's a rebellion. I'm okay with that, it makes sense. Yeah, but there's a big difference between
1: going over a plotline that's an integral aspect of the story that you're telling, and just making nerdy references to appease the demands of your stunted middle-aged fanboy audience.
0: Yeah, and it is doing one thing I really hoped it would do, leaning into the grimness of being a freedom fighter in the Star Wars universe during the height of the Empire, as in you have to make some pretty dodgy decisions and do some pretty awful stuff in the name of freedom. That's fine. I'm glad they did that, because that was one of the things I liked in Rogue One that they actually only do once. It's the bit where he just shoots the guy that will slow him down because he has a broken arm or something like that. Yeah. There's more of that in the first three episodes. And it's easy to see why they released the first three episodes as they did, because they just feel like one thing that was just arbitrarily cut into random segments. I imagine if they'd released just the first episode, people might have thought this is dull. In a way, that's a problem, because have people forgotten how to do episodic storytelling?
1: Yeah, because not all TV series need to be a 10-hour movie cut into pieces. The whole point of TV series is that each episode is an individual story, while at the same time being part of a larger whole.
0: Is it not Eric Kripke, when he was talking about the boy, said that doesn't matter if you're on streaming or not, you're still doing a TV show, each episode has to be something.
1: It was him, yes, and that is exactly it.
0: I think his direct quote had more profanity in it. More than likely, yes. I've streamlined it for the purposes of repeating it, but you can look it up, it was part of a. Interesting interview he did with someone, I forget which publication, but I might try and find it for the show notes if I can be bothered. Who knows? I might spoil the listeners by doing that for you. In terms of TV that's just for me, I've been re-watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm in the middle of season three and enjoying revisiting that. What I think is the best Marvel show. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> I honestly haven't thought what I
1: would consider to be the absolute best Marvel TV series, but I think the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is definitely up there in particular, once they stopped being beholden to the events of the movies and just did their own thing.
2: Yeah, it could have gone two ways. They could have
0: been intrinsically tied with the movies, in which case would have made it essential viewing, which is what they sold the show as. But then they weren't given enough information in order to properly do that. And there wasn't any promise of anything they set up in the show paying off in the films either, which means that before they cut the cord, really, you're supposed to believe that there's Inhumans running around for <laughs> like, Age of Ultrons taking place and things like that. Yeah, it
1: doesn't quite add up. And in the beginning, it was absolutely intended as a companion piece to the movies, but then after they were completely blindsided by the the Winter Soldier, with its central concept, for its very inception, S.H.I.E.L.D., had been... Basically infiltrated by a 60-year-old Nazi death cult. Suddenly, nothing that they'd been doing worked
0: anymore. Sometimes I miss the days of them being this monolithic, heavily funded organisation that could do whatever, but I also like the direction they took it in, and I think they picked up the pieces from essentially having their show torn out from under them halfway through the first season. Yeah, they did a pretty admirable job in salvaging it. Yeah. In terms of films, you've already talked about Prey, so no need to bring that up again. A couple of these are things I forgot to talk about last month, so I'm just kind of throwing them in here. Luck, the Apple TV Plus animated film about Luck coming from a magical place. It was pretty good. As I understand it, it was made by people that used to work for Pixar, and there's some questionable people involved in it as well john Lasseter. <clears throat> yeah that's it but i'm always wanting to separate art from artist and i didn't know about that until after i watched the film and his name showed up in the credit ah right yeah but it wouldn't stop me watching it in the first place hang me from the cross for that if you want but that's just the way i look at media i don't worry too much about who made it because they're not the only person who made it other people also did.
1: That is very true. Possibly a bit too long a conversation to get into for just a quick recap of
0: viewing, I think. Yes. But I thought the film was good. It's probably not up there with Pixar standards, but it was pretty close, and I would recommend giving it a watch. Another animated film I watched was DC's League of Super Pets, which is one of the DC animated films, and it got a cinema release because The Rock is in it, mm. and no other reason, probably. But it was good. It was really fun take on... Superheroes, but with animals. They had fun making fun of certain things about the DC universe that we all know about. Keanu Reeves voicing Batman was great. It's not something you'd want him to play for a long period of time, but as a one-shot joke, he was pretty funny. A lot of fun. It's just a really good superhero story, so I would recommend it. It's probably out on streaming Soon, if not already, so check it out. Speaking of controversy, I watched Don't Worry Darling at the cinema. Mm -hmm. I thought it was fine. I don't think Harry Styles is as bad an actor as people claim he is, although he certainly isn't great. The story was okay. Once the mystery is solved, I was left scratching my head because it doesn't really make any sense, or it makes some sense, but not an awful lot of sense. Florence Pugh is great, as always. Visually, it was impressive. It was fine. And I don't really know much about the controversy surrounding it because that's all just Twitter memes and things like that, things I don't get involved in. So don't ask me about what I think of the, I guess, infighting that I suppose was happening as a result of it because I don't know and frankly, I don't care. So there we go. I watched the film and thought it was fine. I'm sure you're more exposed to everything that went on surrounding the film than I was.
1: I have been, yeah, but even when you actually know it all, it's actually not especially interesting. And it might be a a bit reductive to say, but I don't think the controversy would have been quite as pronounced if everything were exactly the same, but the director in question was not a woman.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a shame that that sprung up because then the conversation becomes about that rather than the film. And it's hard enough for female directors to be recognised for just their work as it is. So having it all become about that is a problem because regardless of what you might think of Olivia Wilde as a person in terms of what she did or didn't do, it's her second major feature film and she's a good director. So this will probably hurt her chances of getting a third.
1: Yeah, because her first film, Booksmart, was really, really good. Yeah, I liked that, yeah. And it was pretty much on the strength of that that I was quite interested in this one, though it seemed there was very little discourse about the actual film itself and more about all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on, to the extent that it actually took me a while to to find out what the film was even about. (laughs) Because I had heard about all this controversy before I knew anything about the film itself, which is a ridiculous... ridiculous situation to find yourself in but is also a stark indicator of just how prevalent people constantly vomiting their opinions on social media is
0: yeah whereas i went into it having only really seen the trailers and then having been made aware of the surrounding stuff by other people rather than me being exposed to it myself so i went in having seen a couple of trailers that i thought were interesting and then that was it i suppose i was on the opposite end of that marketing scale in that way
1: I think it's also possibly a result of wisely not spending much time on Twitter.
0: I will die on that hill. Don't do it.
1: Yes, it is an absolute cesspit of the very worst of humanity, with very little to recommend it, and yet it is a thing that is there and is important.
0: Unfortunately.
1: And there is
0: very little that we as individuals can do about that. Yeah. The last thing, it was a rewatch, but a re-release as well. Avatar. It's out ahead of the sequel and I liked it. I've always liked Avatar and I don't understand the passionate hate it gets because the prevailing opinions are based on the same comments for me. I'm not saying that everybody who doesn't like it is following these lines and I have heard some people give me reasons why they dislike it that I've been able to understand and agree with to some degree. But the comments you usually get are people saying things like it's just dances with wolves or Pocahontas or "Fern Gully," but with aliens and it's repetitive and it's predictable and so on. I'm just thinking by that logic these people wouldn't like anything because how many films have you gone to the cinema or just watched on TV or just watched in general for the first time where you thought oh wow I didn't have any clue where this was going or where you thought it was completely original and you hadn't seen anything like it before because that's pretty much everything isn't it?
1: More or less, yeah. And also, if you think about it, when you are describing a film to someone who hasn't seen it, more often than not, you're going to say something like, it's like this film, or it's like this film meets this film, because they are very efficient shortcuts in establishing the content of a story and your reaction to it. And also can give the person you're talking to a quick indicator of whether or not it might be something that interests them. Because if the films that you compare it to are ones that they personally didn't like, then it's unlikely that this will interest them.
0: Yeah, but it's as if it's a bad thing by itself that it's riffing on those films. And I do think it has problems like the white saviour thing. The white human has to come in and save the clueless aliens from the other humans.
1: It's a tribe of noble savages.
0: And he learns their ways and therefore he's better because he now knows their ways and the others don't. It's a very old story. But part of what works about Avatar for me is the whole package, the technology in use, the fact that it is a brand new universe that's been created without being adapted directly from something else. And somehow it became the top grossing film of all time. That's unheard of at the moment, isn't it? Something to come out of nowhere and just do that. And that's just how powerful James Cameron is, I think. And I think the sequel will be great as well. I have no idea what it's about. With the re-release, it showed you a minute of the underwater stuff. And it's incredible what he's managed to achieve with it. I have no idea what the film's going to be about. I wouldn't be surprised if it's essentially the same plot as the first one. But even if it is, I'll be there for it if the, the whole thing comes together, which I think it will.
1: I certainly have mixed thoughts on it, which essentially boil down to, narratively, it's mediocre. Visually, it is magnificent. And I think a lot of people have trouble marrying those differing levels of opinion of, of, of other things quality, which often just results in them saying, yeah, it was kind of there.
0: Uh, and then people hear about the criticism comparisons and then just repeat them. And then they become the thing to say about it.
1: And to reduce the film to the things about it that didn't work so well is just to do a massive disservice to everything about it that did.
0: Yeah, but we'll see what the sequel is like and whether it's worth watching another three or four of them, however many it is that James Cameron's going to make. He'll just keep making them until he dies, I suppose. Yeah,
1: and given how long this one took him to make, that very well may be the case.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, do you have anything to plug for the listeners, anything that you've been doing recently that they may be able to find and enjoy?
1: Not a whole hell of a lot. There is the aforementioned reviews of Stargirl that I, I've been writing, and I can't remember if I mentioned this previously or not, but for the last year I've been doing this project on, on Twitter, of 365 Days of Halloween. So instead of just doing the 31 Days of Halloween of posting about one horror movie, a day throughout October, and we went up to Halloween. What I decided to do instead last year was, starting from November, I was boasting about a horror film every day for an entire year, just for the hell of it. And seeing as at the time of recording, we're coming to the end of September, now up to
0: 320-something. So what's your plan when you hit 365? to stop. Or are you going to try three, six, five days of something else?
1: i definitely stop this because it's not something that, that I always remember that I, I need to do each day. I'll be halfway through a film at half ten at night and remember that I haven't done today's post.
0: <laughs> it starts to become a chore after a while, I would imagine.
1: Overall, I have been enjoying it. And, and it has brought me to get around to watching a, a lot of films that I have meant to for quite some time, but just but just for whatever reason
0: never did. But like When people do the 52 films by Women Challenge or whatever else, it just makes you consider what you're going to watch in a different way, I suppose.
1: There are always going to be more horror films that I want to watch because there are so many fantastic horror movies out there that, as I mentioned earlier, don't get very much publicity. It's just typically only the big studio releases that people are aware of that, ironically, are often lesser offerings than the independent stuff made out with that system.
0: What I'll do is I'll put a link to that thread in the show notes. Are you just replying to yourself every day? Yeah, this
1: is one big thread, other than like 320 odd separate postings.
0: Okay, I will put a link to that thread if people want to check it out and get some recommendations if you're struggling to find horror films that you want to watch. I'll put that in the show notes. And you did the review of that digital release, Blackmail, as well? I did, yes. It was okay for what it was. Not quite the kind of
1: thriller that it built itself as but did have some interesting ideas about online security and identity theft and the like
0: all the buzz phrases all the buzz terms yeah my plugs are just the usual stuff a lot of the things I've referred to previously there are reviews of She-Hulk and that's it for TV (laughs) at the moment on the website I reviewed Prey and Luck Super Pets I am not going to bother reviewing don't worry darling because I just can't be bothered I don't think I've got an awful lot to say about it so I'm just not going to I'm not going to join the discourse, so to speak. Not that anybody would notice if they even did. Over on the We Made This podcast network, I'm currently helping out with the Animate Star Trek podcast where I'm hosting some episodes talking about Lower X, and I will probably be picking it up when Prodigy comes back in October as well. So you'll be able to hear me periodically cropping up there. That's my plugs. Same stuff. I do this podcast and it's attached to this website, so it's where most of my stuff is anyway. Mm. Okay, before we move on to some stuff, shall we cut to our pre-prepared report when we were actually at the D23 event?
1: Yes, do that thing, which I'm sure everyone listening will agree sounds absolutely authentic and certainly like we were actually there.
0: Yes, we were definitely there. Honestly, we were there. Anyway, over to Past Us. Thanks, future Craig and Andrew. Yes, we are here at D23 and it has all happened. Andrew, we are totally here at D23, right? We are genuinely here.
1: Yes, we absolutely are. We are surrounded by many, many people looking like Disney people because they're excited about all the Disney things which are happening exactly where we are right now.
0: And by people, we mean shareholders dressed in suits... Wondering about all the share money they're about to make. Shareholders dressed as Captain America and Iron Man. Can you imagine?
1: I couldn't until I arrived here where we are and totally not anywhere else. And it's quite a sight to behold.
0: Well, let us find a quiet area so we can discuss all of the stuff that came out. Okay, we are now in a quiet area of this place that we totally are and aren't pretending that we are because it's an audio medium. So... Let's talk about some stuff that happened. We'll start with the more generic teasers, as in stuff that ain't connected to the Marvel Universe. I guess everything comes under two banners at Disney now. three well, three banners, I suppose. You've got Marvel, Star Wars, and everything that isn't Marvel or Star Wars. Sounds pretty comprehensive to me. But we have some Star Wars stuff in here because there's not enough to give it its own heading for organisational purposes. But anyway, let's start with The Little Mermaid. we got a teaser for that. What did you think of the teaser for that? To be honest, I was kind of underwhelmed by it. The way that
1: the undersea environment has been animated doesn't really look especially appealing, because it just kind of looks really flat and colourless and just drained of life, which I would think is the opposite of what it's supposed to be, because be bright and vibrant, just expressing like, the majestic beauty of the ocean, but it just kind of doesn't.
0: I think they went down the same route they did with The Lion King with photorealism rather than Some kind of magical, otherworldly type looks. And I think it definitely looks photorealistic. It looks great, but yeah, it does lack that sparkle, I suppose, that the original had.
1: Yeah, The problem with photoreal animation is, yes, the animated things look like what they are, but they don't really make for very compelling viewing, because they're just things that are there.
0: Yeah, but Halle Bailey is the actress's name. She has
1: a nice voice. She does, yes. And one thing I did really enjoy was that after that trailer came online, there were dozens and dozens of videos appearing on Twitter and TikTok and the like of these little black girls just looking absolutely joyfully ecstatic, actually seeing someone as a princess who's like them. It made them all so happy and it was joyful to watch.
0: And then a bunch of middle-aged men complaining about it, of course.
1: Yes, because all these white middle-aged men are very, very protective of a story aimed at a demographic of little girls. It's very, very important that the new version of a film released 30-odd years ago look okay, exactly how it did then, which includes a mythical race of merpeople all having the same human ethnicity, because that's realism.
0: I don't think she's really a mermaid either. Should someone tell them that? Yeah, and there's also the factor
1: that if they really cared about true fidelity to the story of Little Mermaid, then they would be upset that she, that she wasn't this terrifying oceanic siren tearing out people's hearts to eat, and who eventually is transformed into sea foam and washed away on the waves.
0: They're not... A version of it where she commits suicide as well? She jumps off a rock or something? Is that the same one?
1: Yep, that's how it works. That's how the story went, but that isn't important because it doesn't actually address matters of race.
0: No, I'm sure this will be fine. I imagine comparisons to Avatar The Way of Water will inevitably come in because that will be out at Christmas and then this will be out next year and people will inevitably draw a comparison between the two.
1: Undoubtedly. Even though the Avatar sequels are now becoming a thing, I still completely forget that they're going to exist until someone actually mentions them.
0: Yeah, but what will happen is you'll watch the Avatar sequel at Christmas and you'll be like, wow, that was one of the best things I've ever seen. Absolutely. Apparently that happened at D23 as well. They gave 3D glasses to people in the audience. They showed them 10 minutes of footage or something like that. and It was just resoundingly positive afterwards, which is after years of, why are they making these? They're never going to be popular. We don't need them. And then suddenly James Cameron works his magic and everyone's like, okay, give me all of these right now because this looks incredible. So yeah, I'm pretty sure Avatar The Way of Water is going to be a massive hit. I don't think you should bet against James Cameron. I've said it before.
1: Yeah, it's pretty much given to failure.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that is The Little Mermaid and Avatar Way of Water. Bit of a bonus there. Not much more to say about The Little Mermaid. It's just this quick tease of... The visual style and the music, and that's about it. I imagine they won't do the Aquaman problem of when she goes on the surface, as in, in Aquaman, whenever people that live underwater go on the surface, it just looks like their hair is all wet and slimy and disgusting. I imagine they'll not do that for this.
1: Yeah, I imagine it will be all beautiful and colourful and majestic.
0: Yes, it just looks like Jason Momoa or Amber Heard had been caught in the rain whenever they went on at the surface. Which is realistic, but not very visually interesting.
1: Yes, though if you were to ask Jana her opinion, she would have absolutely no qualms at all about constantly watching Jason Momoa as if he looks like he's just been caught in the rain.
0: I imagine not, but family podcast, let's not go into that. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's move on. A trailer for Hocus Pocus 2 appeared. I don't remember the original that well, although I have seen it. The modern day setting, I feel like it's already going to annoy me because they're going to do all those kinds of jokes And I'm wondering, I suppose we can apply this question to any sequel they ever make ever, but do we need this?
1: Short answer, no. I did watch the original one quite a lot when I was a kid. I do remember really enjoying it. Though I've not watched it since then, so I'm not certain how well it would hold up as an adult. It does seem to be largely the same kind of idea, the witchy Sanderson sisters being brought back to life by the black flame candle and have to steal enough souls to maintain themselves before dawn breaks. It looks like it's going to delve a bit more into the idea of what a witch actually is and what makes a witch, because it seems like at least one of the teenage girls in it is going to become a witch herself. It does also look like there's going to be some backstory... For Sisters, which wasn't really seen at all in the original movie. So if nothing else, that's going to be interesting to watch. But I generally think overall it's going to be fun and interesting, but nothing special or memorable.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It does seem like it's geared up to be watched by people that haven't seen the original as well. It seems like it's covering a lot of the how all this works sort of ground that the original probably does. I can't remember it well enough to explicitly comment on that.
1: I think that kind of thing is necessary for any kind of legacy sequel, because after a certain amount of time, it isn't reasonable to assume that other people watching this film will have also seen the original.
0: Which is fair. We'll see how it pans out, I suppose. Speaking of things we probably don't need... The Santa Clausies. This is the fourth project from this franchise. This is a return to that world that Tim Allen started with the Santa Claus, which I actually think is a pretty good film. The other two, not so much. Agreed. And this looks like more of the same, I suppose. I don't really have an awful lot to say about it. I think it looks fine. Tim Allen is clearly hard up for work. (laughs) Yes, I know he had that sitcom, I don't know how recent it was, but it's that one where, oh, he has too many daughters. That's the joke. He's one man amongst women that he's related to. I am a
1: bastion of fading masculinity. I am manly man and talk about how manly I am and how to deal with all these pesky women and all these ignorant liberals who just don't get it.
0: And then he stood Santa Claus again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I never bothered watching that sitcom because I knew I would hate every minute of it.
0: Oh, I haven't seen it either. I'm just aware that it exists Can't we just have a Galaxy Quest 2, Tim Allen, do that? Exactly. Although I probably hate that as well, because it's a pretty solid one-and-done premise, that film, to be honest.
1: And also, no Alan Rickman.
0: That's true. Yeah, the Santa Clausies. I don't really have an awful lot to say about it. I'm sure it'll be fine. It is just Tim Allen taking work where you can get it at this point, I think.
1: Yeah, it just seems like a fairly generic, guilt tide story of a frantic mission to save Christmas.
0: Although, in terms of the Santa Claus movie, you as a horror aficionado, do you ever think the Santa Claus contract thing plays out more like a curse in a horror movie? I think it could if you
1: were to adjust the tone and perspective of the material. It could definitely be a horror movie.
0: Because someone gets cursed with this responsibility and then they die and then someone else gets cursed with it just for being near them, and now they have to be Santa for however long it takes for them to die and pass it on to someone else. It is very much one of those horror curses, isn't it?
1: Being damned with this eternal servitude that you didn't want, didn't ask for, and don't deserve, yet there isn't really any true way to actually break the curse. You have to try to live with it and not let it devour your very soul.
0: Yeah, and then the second one, is to trap a poor woman into the curse with him.
1: Yep, there is uh, a lot to play with there, certainly. <laughs> Just as an aside, actually, it was recently announced there was going to be another Bring It On movie. Those cheerleading comedies, except this one's going to be going to be a straight horror movie, but still going to be part of the Bring It On series.
0: Well, that may or may not be in the other news segment that we will be discussing. Okay, okay n- never that's mind. another point. Maybe I don't know. Time <laughs> is not a constant on this podcast. We don't know when we are or where we are because we're a D twenty three right
1: now, and exactly, absolutely nowhere else because we're very special and influential. Entertainment observers.
0: Exactly. Instead of partying with Kevin Feige, we are doing this because we are consummate professionals.
1: Precisely. We bring your people what, what they need and give them what they want.
0: Exactly. So the next teaser that we got was National Treasure, Edge of History, which is the TV spin-off of the Nicolas Cage movies. It has Justin Bartha in it, aka the guy that had very little to do in the other two <laughs> films. And... Is probably cheap enough in terms of salary to appear on this show. So cool. I'm not sure if this will work without Nick Cage, but it looks fun. I love those movies, particularly the first one. But I think the second one's really good as well. The hardest thing to believe about it is you've got Bruce Greenwood playing an honourable and nice president of the United States.
1: (laughs) I think this looks like a lot of fun as well. I love the glow popping, treasure hunting, conspiracy unravelling nonsense that the films utterly play into. I just think they're so much fun. Utterly daft and inoffensive and just highly entertaining way. Pure popcorn cinema kind of movies do aspire to any kind of high art. They just do exactly what they claim to and they do it in a very, very fun way.
0: And certainly the first one, it gives you a lot of context about American history, but it doesn't do it in a very, God bless America, flag-wavy sort of way. There is respect and reverence for it, but it's not in a really cheesy, really nauseating sort of a way.
1: Absolutely, you're a traitor, that kind of way. Yeah,
0: it's a good franchise and apparently the third film, the script has been written and they're waiting for Nicolas Cage to read it. Which considering how many scripts he must have on his desk could take a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I'll do this, whatever this is. Nicholas Cage's sort of approach.
1: I do genuinely wonder what kind of films he's going to end up doing once he's dug himself out of this financial black hole that he's in. <laughs> Which is basically why he's he's doing all this nonsense, churning out preposterous films so quickly.
0: When the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent was coming out, I watched the Mightbean GQ video he was doing before he went on social media to answer questions about things that he'd been doing it's one of those things about does nicholas cage ever turn down movies and he's like yes i do i know that's not the narrative that you want to believe but <laughs> i turn down movies all the time it's quite an interesting video actually It's something interesting to watch because you don't see nicholas cage do an awful lot of those types of open publicity type things so it's quite interesting to get a little peek into him well i don't know how genuine he is i don't know anything about the guy to be honest just that he's a bit of a weirdo but a fun watch and the show looks fun i will watch it same next trailer we've got is willow which is something that I haven't seen the original of. Aaron was very excited about this. I know that he's still excited about it after seeing this trailer. One reading of this trailer, I can't credit to myself, it's someone else I was talking to, was talking about how this trailer gives you the sense of young people can't handle a problem and they go to older people to try and help them with it. So it's one of those written by older people to try and prove that they're still relevant type tales, which I think is probably quite a harsh reading, perhaps, but it's definitely in there. We need your help. We hear you used to be a great wizard and things. Can you help us? And then Willow is like, yeah, sure. I think that is a little cynical interpretation.
1: And coming from me, that's actually saying quite a lot. I think my perception might be partially clouded by the fact that, like Hoax Pocus, Willow is a film I watched repeatedly as a kid because I absolutely loved it. It's just a classic family-friendly fantasy adventure kind of thing with a whole bunch of ideas smashed together that somehow work. And this one looks to be a lot of the same, which... I think it's certainly no bad thing at all. One thing I was thinking about it, though, is that with the principal young woman in it, without reading any background stuff, you would assume that she is Elora, who was the baby MacGuffin in the original movie, who was this child who was destined to bring about the downfall of this evil sorceress. She would be round the age of women when this is supposed to be, but that character is actually named Kit, who is a princess, and the general story is that they're trying to rescue her kidnapped twin brother. In the original movie, Elora didn't have a brother. So it probably means that Kit isn't Elora having given herself a new name or anything. But that does ask questions of where Elora actually is, because you would assume that she would be a significant aspect of the story, but there isn't actually any mention of her at all, which just has me intrigued.
0: It's a bit of a Force Awakens vibe I got from the trailer as well, as in new characters who are fans of the old characters getting involved in a story with those old characters. Yes,
1: because apparently in the intervening decades, these old characters never actually met anyone new.
0: No, they just hid in a forest or whatever and never spoke to anyone else or did anything else other than the stuff that they're known for.
1: Yeah, though, even with deconstructing the fairly derivative premise, I still think it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to watch it and I think I'm going to enjoy it.
0: Hopefully it will tickle your nostalgia bone and be a satisfying return to this world.
1: I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't doing a little seated dance when the variation on the original movie's main theme was playing. Fair dude.
0: The next teaser we've got is for Disenchanted, and I will link this under the heading of Do We Need This? Which you could say about everything that we're talking about today, but also Do We Need This? I only saw Enchanted once, and I wasn't huge on it, and this looks like more of the same, which probably means that it won't be for me. It's one of those weird... Things that Amy Adams does as an actress where she occasionally just pick a project that's just nuts when you saw her in The Muppets, for example. Exactly, I was just going to say, yeah. What are you doing here? Just because I felt like it. Because I'm Amy Adams and can do whatever I want and I want to do this.
1: Because at my heart, I am
0: chaotic and you can't do anything about that. Yeah, or they offered me how much money? Perhaps is also another justification.
1: That's probably a large factor, yes.
0: Yeah, but this, it looks like I'm not going to be Engaging with it because I didn't engage with the original, and this looks like just that again. I thought the original was an interesting
1: idea, trying to transport the notion of fairy tale tropes into the real world and seeing how well or otherwise they hold up. It's probably going to address the notion of happy endings, which, as we all know, are a tradition in fairy tales of the good guys ultimately living happily ever after. And that idea is often countered with the simple observation that there are no happy endings in real life. But I think another way to look at it. It's, that is true, but also because in life there aren't any real endings, full stop. Life is something that goes on and it progresses and it develops. And I think it's that idea that this film is going to at least partially address. As I think Giselle is, is going to realise that life isn't this ceaseless barrage of happiness and eternal bliss. That's something they that need to work at. And by wishing them all into this fairy tale reality it's just going to emphasize to her just how artificial it is
0: and of course there's no ending in stories either because they always want franchise potential so we always have to be perpetually in the middle of something
1: also true yes
0: so enchanted slash disenchanted is part of that problem now isn't it where it can't just be one story that ended It's now a continuing franchise of storytelling pretty much yeah kind of depressing when you think about (laughs) it like that we do often say on this podcast, oh, nothing ever finishes anymore because they're bringing everything back.
1: Exactly. You can't just have just a single self-contained story. It has to be the start of something.
0: Or you can't have said goodbye to something that you used to watch like 20 years ago. Now you have to watch it come back and be ruined by people that don't understand why you liked it 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, because they look at it with a contemporary perspective and just think, this is garbage. What is good about this? Why did you like this? What's wrong with you? <laughs>
0: how depressing the next thing is a quick tease for Percy Jackson and the Olympians it's not much to go on but it does look far less cartoony than the films that were released that I haven't actually seen but I know from the trailers the live action elements interacting with the computer generated elements wasn't seamless let's put it that way yes
1: and even the film's stars have actually now freely admitted that they generally weren't that good But
0: this also brings up an
1: interesting variation on the question of, do we really need this? Because, in this instance, I would actually argue yes. Because the two movies that got made, as I mentioned, weren't very good. Because they just quite badly mishandled the ideas in the books. And just edited and condensed them into something very, very generic. That's partially going to be to do with the time restraint of telling the story over the course of a single film rather than in in this case of a full TV series of probably 10 episodes I would imagine
0: somewhere around there probably yeah
1: so it's going to have a a lot more time to to get into, into the nuances of the story and the characters and make them a lot more interesting. And also actually going to be having the characters the ages that they actually are in the books, rather than they were in the films, because at the start of the books the characters are all 12, whereas in the film, I think they were 16, which meant they could cast 22-year-olds pretending to be 16. That kind of thing really wouldn't work for kids that young. And as each of the books takes place over summer of, of a successive year in, in each book, then that will allow the kids to grow up at the same rate that the characters do in the same way that the Harry Potter kids did.
0: And it's from that relatively rare school of rebooting or remaking, where it is taking something that didn't quite work before and having another go at it. Other examples of that are His Dark Materials and Shadowhunters. Shadowhunters, which is a show that I watched two episodes of and thought, the same for me, but it's a lot better than the film, I imagine, which is something I also didn't see. Yes, on both counts. And then His Dark Materials was way better than the film. Hell yeah. Although, of course, having a second
1: crack at something doesn't always work, as we saw with Dark Phoenix.
0: Yeah, it's not going to necessarily be better, but also it's worth having another go at, because you didn't do it, or someone else didn't do it quite as well the first time. I know that there's another crack at Aragon coming up at some point, because the original film wasn't the best.
1: Yeah, the film was terrible,
0: but the books are terrible as well. Okay, so that's a great starting point.
1: Yeah, so... I'm really not holding my breath for that one.
0: Yeah, we'll see. That's besides the point. Yeah. The next thing we've got is a teaser for Tales of the Jedi, which is a series of shorts telling the stories of different people. Dooku when he was Qui-Gon's master and so forth. We've got baby Ahsoka there. We've got Yaddle doing some lightsaber stuff. This is really cool. It's from the Clone Wars Rebels Bad Batch team, so I'm all for it.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this, because I really like all the expansive stuff that, that they're doing with Star Wars now. Basically, on the simple notion that not everything that happens in an entire galaxy needs to revolve around three generations of one family.
0: Even though these events and these shorts are kind of revolving around the generations of that family. Well, the characters involved are... Yes, but these stories aren't. Except maybe the Ahsoka one.
1: Yes, but it's about her, not about Anakin.
0: Yeah. The thing that stood out to me about the Ahsoka one is she's getting taught that move that saves her life in the Clone Wars finale.
1: I noticed that, yes. Which is just really showing that they're they're paying attention and wanting to actually have consistency in their storytelling.
0: Yeah. It's confusing to me why there is an Ahsoka short, though, considering how much coverage she got in the Clone Wars show. It feels like you could do a short about other people, because we've had a lot of Ahsoka at that period in her life. That is
1: true, yeah. Though I am slightly biased because I absolutely love Ahsoka. I think she's fantastic, and I will gladly watch absolutely anything that she appears in. And I am also quite glad that we've got Ashley Eckstein back voicing Ahsoka.
0: Yeah, it seems like anytime she's animated, she'll do
1: the voice. I still haven't gotten over the fact that she's not also playing live-action Ahsoka. It just really bugs me, because she's such an integral aspect of the character. Then not having her performing us, or it just seems to do a massive disservice
0: yeah it'd be interesting to see young dooku with his padawan qui-gon and whatever yaddle's doing it's the first canon story involving that character that i'm aware of
1: yeah i certainly can't think of any
0: fans of the expanded universe as was or the expanded universe as it is now will be able to correct me there's probably been comics about yaddle and stuff like that that i haven't had access to but Certainly in terms of moving media, I suppose. That's the only thing they've ever done.
1: Yeah, certainly.
0: So that's not far away, actually. It's in October, end of October. Those appear, so that'll be fun. I'll give them a watch. The last non-Marvel teaser thing we had, certainly visual teaser, was The Mandalorian Season 3. I haven't even watched this teaser because I have no interest in watching it. So I will let you tell me your opinion because I'm not going to watch it. It didn't really tell us much. It was more just a mood setting
1: kind of thing, rather than giving it any specific information. Though it does seem to focus less on the Western-themed aspects of the first two seasons, and more of a sci-fi kind of thing, like much of the rest of Star Wars. And also have Mandalorian back with Baby Yoda, or Grogu, Which might confuse some people because at the end of the second season Baby Yoda left with Luke Skywalker to become a Jedi, but then in the Book of Boba Fett they end up back together. So if there are people who didn't bother watching the Book Book of Boba Fett they might be a bit confused as to why Mandalorian and Baby Yoda are together again. But anyway, it doesn't really matter that much because their dynamic is really the heart of the show. As he's still this adorable fuzzy green blob who's curious and excited about everything. And there is something that wasn't specifically... Same. I think we'll come into it. We'll be having Bo-Katan trying to hunt the Mandalorian down because he ended up as the owner of the Dark Saber after defeating Moff Gideon, which is exactly what katan wanted for herself, because the wielder of the Dark Saber is the de facto ruler of Mandalore. But due to tradition, the weapon can't just be passed on; it needs to be won in a fight, which I think will happen at some point during the series.
0: And anybody hoping to see Kylo Ren brutally murder Grogu probably isn't going to get their wish. Exactly. I think
1: that might partially be why they backtracked on where they were going with that. Because there really wasn't any other eventual fate that could have befallen him if he stayed on that track.
0: Yeah, definitely. Okay, that's out of the teasers for non-specific franchise stuff other than Star Wars. Let's go to news about non-specific franchise stuff other than Star Wars. Which we have something in here for as well. (laughs) But let's start with Inside Out is getting a sequel. Inside Out 2 will be presumably what it's going to be called. They haven't said anything about it, other than the fact that at least two of the fellow voice actors are not returning. Amy Poehler is apparently being paid £5 to play her bright-eyed Pixar character again, whereas Bill Hader and Mindy Kaling, who voice fear and disgust, declined to return after being offered 100000 each in contrast.
1: Yeah, that is a bit of a kick in the teeth, really.
0: Yeah, but it'll also be... We'll just recast because most people won't care so they probably don't have as much leverage as they thought they did.
1: And also, I'd imagine a lot of people will not even notice.
0: Yeah. The thing about Inside Out is I thought it had essentially infinite potential. I think this will probably be following Riley again, and she'll be doing something probably a bit more grown-up than she was doing in the first one. They did have that short that was her first date.
1: Yes, that was fun.
0: <laughs> I don't know what it'll be this time. First date at
1: college or something? Who knows? Well, the fragments I found is saying that it is having Riley now as, as a teenager, and... Uh, As a result, her emotions are growing more complex and there are going to be some different emotions that are going to be introduced, though it hasn't actually been said what they are.
0: Fair enough. We'll see. I would quite like it if they made inside-out films about different people, different characters, dealing with different types of issues as well. Someone who has mental health issues or even a serial killer, which, yes, that would be pretty dark. Yeah. How does the emotional... Makeup work in a serial killer's brain you that stuff. There was this video I watched a few years
1: ago, which was a cut of Inside Out, but with all of the bits inside Riley's head removed. Just human interactions in the real world. And basically, what you're left with is a short film about an adolescent girl sliding into depression. That's interesting. And I think the way that that was portrayed in the film was really, really subtle and done really well. Inside Out is one of my favourite Pixar movies. Yeah, same if not my absolute favourite. And I am always going to be open to the prospect of having more of it.
0: Yeah. Pixar also revealed a new film called Elio, which will focus on an 11-year-old who makes first contact with aliens. And that's all it says. America Ferrera, though, is voicing Elio's mother and Jonos Kibrieb will voice the title role. That sounds interesting, and they offered a look at Elemental, which we didn't see, they didn't release to the public. It hails from director Peter Son, who took inspiration from his childhood growing up in New York. He tells the love story of Ember, a fiery young woman, and Wade, a water guy, who can't touch each other and must journey through a city where fire, water, land, and air residents live. So again, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it
1: does. It is conceptually fairly similar to this Animated film from a while back called *The Rain Children*, which was about these two peoples, basically a group of fire people and water people, and those two young people, one from each side, attempting to work together to end uh, danger and hostilities. Although I would imagine that this story probably won't be quite as epic, be it more of an emotional thing and about reconciling differences and learning how to appreciate and not fear people who are different from you.
0: Yeah, so it's a pretty obvious children's story told in a colourful and Imaginative way.
1: Exactly, which is pretty much Pixar's MO.
0: Yeah. The next thing we're getting is a prequel to The Lion King, but this is a prequel to the quote unquote live action Lion King because it's just animated in a different way. This one's going to be called Mufasa the Lion King. It was originally supposed to be a sequel or it was announced as a sequel, but it's not. It's the origin story of Mufasa. And explores his childhood growing up with his brother Scar. The film will feature the voice of Aaron Pierre and Kelvin Harrison Jr. as younger versions of the characters replacing James Earl Jones and Chiwetel Ejiofor from the newer ones. So that's happening. They showed some footage of it. The footage began with Rafiki telling the story of Mufasa to young cubs, revealing that lion was actually an orphaned cub who had to navigate the world alone until he rose to become the king of Pride Rock. As such, the film goes beyond the iconic Pride Lands to show him as a cub in the desert, where he is swept away by a flood and becomes an orphan. So there we go.
1: Yeah, well, photoreal CGI... Lion King, I think everyone can agree was a needless pointless and meaningless cash-in. Not to mention soulless That too, yes, because photoreal animals do not emote It's like the voices that they are being given, it's not the characters talking, it's somebody watching the film, giving vocal captions for them.
0: Yeah, and then you have James Earl Jones, who's supposed to be a king lion in his prime sounding like a worn out old man Exactly,
1: which doesn't really work No. So we've already had one film that didn't really have any reason to exist, and now we have an unnecessary and unasked-for prequel to it, whose purpose is even more dubious. I think that just going by the brief synopsis, I would imagine the story is going to have themes of the notion of nobility and worthiness as a ruler being something that comes from your strength of character, rather than some innate trait that you were born with.
0: Yeah. And it's Barry Jenkins directing it, and he has acclaim for doing things like Moonlight and F.B.L. Street Top, so could be good. At least it's not just copying the thing that they've made before, so it has potential in that way.
1: Yeah, I'm just a bit, a bit sceptical of the very viability of this entire film's existence.
0: No, that's completely fair. Let us move on to Star Wars again. Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures has some casting and an announcement because I'd never heard of this before. Jamal Avery Jr. and Emma Berman have been tapped to lead the cast of Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures, a full-length animated Star Wars series for preschoolers. It's slated for premiere in 2023 on Disney Junior and Disney+. Plus. The castings were announced at D23. Set during the High Republic era, Young Jedi Adventures follows a group of younglings as they embark on missions and ultimately learn the valuable skills needed to become Jedi. Compassion, self-discipline, teamwork, patience and friendship. Avery plays Kai Brightstar, a Jedi youngling who, I hate saying that word. It's so stupid. It is, it really is. He hopes to follow in the footsteps of the great master Yoda and become a Jedi knight. He teams with pilot Nash on adventures across the galaxy so jedi but for preschoolers which probably means that it will be not for us to watch as such but who knows it might have stuff in there for older viewers maybe not but also considering how questionable i find the jedi in terms of their practices <laughs> these children learning about yes attachment get rid of that don't be afraid of anything don't be upset don't be angry any of these emotions that are common to you at this stage of your development ignore them They're not important. Just Jedi all the time.
1: I would imagine that given the target audience of this series, I think the less salubrious aspects of Jedi indoctrination are going to be quietly skipped over. And it's going to focus more on short and simple tales teaching little kids about positive virtues.
0: None of these young kids crying because they've been ripped from their parents a couple of years ago. (laughs)
1: No. I'd be quite,
0: quite surprised if it, if it went there, to be honest. Yeah. They have a deep and meaningful, introspective conversation about, do you remember your mother? No. Do you?
1: No. As well, I imagine that will come up in the sequel series, Star Wars. Adolescent Jedi adventures.
0: Jedi going through puberty. Now there's something you want to see. <laughs> <laughs> there's pictures of all the kids. Two of them look human. One's purple. One's a little bear creature. And one looks like Yoda. Then there's a little droid with big feet. I thought that was supposed to be Yoda. Well, maybe it is. I thought it was just a young kid that looked like Yoda.
1: Maybe. I didn't look at the picture that closely, to be honest.
0: It definitely doesn't look like it's Yoda. Does it not have a cane? Yeah. I don't know. Ah, uh, who knows. We'll find out. Well, I might not, because I won't be watching this most likely. You can read about it. Yes, I'm just watching a show that's made for preschoolers and complaining about how it's not deep and meaningful <laughs> enough. <laughs> <laughs> onto something that is possibly flogging a dead horse. We have another adaptation of Peter Pan. This one, taking the Superman and Lois route of Peter Pan and Wendy, is the title. And the headline on Variety says Peter Pan and Wendy footage debuts at D23. Wendy and Peter are equals. Because we all need to know that right now. We need to make sure we know that. Because the title doesn't give that away. The film's cast includes Ever Anderson as Wendy, Jude Law as Captain Hook, and Alyssa Waponotok. That is. A butchered pronunciation, as is keeping with me, as Tiger Lily. It's been really amazing to be able to play Wendy. Anderson said Wendy and Peter are equals in this film.
1: I don't care. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the footage showcases the first looks at the classic characters in a grittier, oh God, more <laughs> realistic take on what we've seen before, starring Alexander Maloney and ever as the titular characters. Tinkerbells played by black actress Yara Shahidi.
1: And also having Tyler Lily played by actual indigenous actor. Yes, instead of Rooney Mara. <laughs> God, That was embarrassing.
0: Yeah, I quite liked that film, actually. Pan. I thought it was okay.
1: That was a Hugh Jackman one, right? Where they're dancing to Nirvana on the ship's deck.
0: Yeah, despite the fact that they were whisked away in the decades before the Nirvana would have wrote that song.
1: That doesn't matter, though.
0: No. Why should it? It doesn't say anything about what the footage was, but sure, there's another go at this. Why not? Keep at it. Sure. Fine. Whatever. I wonder if this means they're doing this instead of a live-action remake of the original Disney film. Possibly. I don't know. Because you would have to completely change that film anyway, because it is offensive.
1: That is very true, yeah.
0: They could be doing this instead of that, which really works for me, because I quite like it if they maybe flip the script on some things that are familiar and have a go that way. That way you get films like Maleficent, which are way better than they have any right to be, sometimes.
1: Maleficent was more telling the same story from an alternate perspective.
0: But it also changed who Maleficent was and made her sympathetic. I think it started life as being that, but they turned it into something completely different.
1: Yeah, I will agree that acknowledging the aspects of Peter Pan that are painfully and offensively dated is certainly a good thing.
0: Better to start again than just try to work around it. But I just can't
1: muster any enthusiasm for this at all.
0: Fair enough. We'll see what happens when we actually see some footage from it. Yeah, you never know. It might be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The last miscellaneous thing we have is a new tune musical called Wish about how the iconic wishing star came to be. Ariana DeBose will star alongside Encanto's Alan Tudyk. It doesn't say whether Alan Tudyk will actually be voicing something in the film or whether it would be a chicken again it's going to be directed by the frozen helmer chris buck and ryan the last dragon alum von vera Sunthorn. wish will feature songs by grammy nominee julia michaels and apparently ariana debose performed a song from the film titled more for us she stars as asha the 17 year old heroine who's driven incredibly smart and optimist a sharp witted leader in the making who sees darkness that others do not she's navigating a kingdom of wishes where wishes can literally come true asha makes an impassioned plead to the stars wishing for guidance and help and ends up bringing an actual star a cosmic force that's a literal ball of energy and communicates through pantomime down from the sky sounds cool i'm all for this tudic voices valentino a goat <laughs> whether he'll just be making goat noises or speaking is unknown
1: it seems like al tudic is fast becoming this generation's frank welker <laughs> <laughs> making a career out of voicing creatures that don't actually speak
0: yeah. <laughs> and the film will feature a villain described as one of the most formidable foes in Disney history.
1: That's because everybody takes meaningless and unproven superlatives seriously.
0: Of course. I completely believe that they will manage that. There'll be no issues there whatsoever. No. Let's move on to Marvel. They shared a few things. I've distilled it down to the most substantive stuff, because some of it was just very little. People were disappointed at the lack of fantastic forecasting, the lack of phase six gaps being plugged, but I wasn't that bothered, because we'll find out eventually anyway, and I don't know, we just need to stop expecting these events to be massive dumps of information, and... As someone that's to edit a news podcast, the less we get, the better, to be honest. It makes it easier for us. Yeah. First teaser we got was for Werewolf by Night. And my first question on this is, is this meant to be something that people that live in the MCU can watch? Because it does seem to be very counter-realistic. And it's obviously drawing on the old Hammer Horror, classic horror movies type things. That's what Michael Giacchino said when he took on the job, that that's what he wanted to play with. So... Looks like they've definitely done that. It looks really good.
1: Oh, hell yeah. I love this. As you mentioned, I am very into horror. And as well as having a Hammer aesthetic, it also seems to have taken bits from universal horror movies from the 1930s, with a little bit of 70s grindhouse thrown in there just for good
0: measure. See, in my head, I can't delineate a difference between Universal Horror and Hammer Horror for some reason. They seem to be part of the same thing for me. I think it's partially
1: because a lot of them did variations on the same properties, both several Dracula movies and Frankenstein movies.
0: Yeah, so unless you know the ins and outs of when they were made and who made them and stuff, it's all part of the same thing.
1: To be honest, I can only really identify the difference between them just because I've watched so many of these films so many times. It's just become ingrained in my brain how to differentiate them and what makes each of them what they are. To actually verbalise that would actually be quite a lengthy process and not very interesting to listen to, I think.
0: Well, certainly not in the context of a news podcast where we have to be at least somewhat brief. Yeah, and I am
1: also very much looking forward to seeing what they do with Elsa Bloodstone, because I really like her as a character in the comics. Though so it does seem that this is going to be point before she actually became a monster hunter, because she, she certainly seems far more timid and fearful than I would have expected. So I suspect what's going to happen is that this encounter with the werewolf, with the hilarious name of Jack Russell... <laughs> is going to be what spurs her to become a monster hunter like her father was. That's just wild speculation. Also, a very brief shot, but certainly identifiable, was Man-Thing. I spotted that,
0: yeah, I've got that in my notes.
1: Which is a choice, certainly. I suspect that Man-Thing is going to be a creature that this band of monster hunters are coming together to hunt initially, and then during the fight it's revealed that one of them was a werewolf, and then they have to deal with that.
0: It seems like it's quite a cool callback to how Marvel started, essentially, because their early days were putting out these types of monster comics.
1: Exactly, yes. And also, interestingly, there are some agents from the Time Variance Authority. The only connection I can think of they might have is with Elsa's father, Ulysses Woodstone, basically being immortal, who has been alive since Neolithic times, at least in the comics anyway. Not sure what they're doing with him here. In the subtitles of the trailer, it actually specified that Ulysses was that zombie kind of creature thing.
0: So it could be that... It is actually set in the MCU, it's just stylistically very different.
1: It's stylistically very, very deliberate, but it's a style that I absolutely love and will watch any amount of for the rest of my life. Fair enough. I think I'm going to love this, and I am so looking forward to
0: it. Cool. Well, we shall see how it turns out, because it's getting made. I like the look of it too, I think it looks really cool, and I always like it when the MCU does something a bit different from the normal style. The first few episodes of Division, for example, I got that vibe from it as in, well, oh, this looks different.
1: Yeah, I think they have hundreds of characters and scores of concepts to explore. And so to just keep doing the same thing over and over again shows a lack of imagination. So I love that they're taking risks and experimenting with things just to see what works and what doesn't. And I just hope they keep on doing more of it.
0: Yeah, let's hope so. But on the more traditional side of things, we have a trailer for our Secret Invasion, which looks like a Marvel thing but more in the vein of Winter Soldier-era Marvel thing. Espionage. Yeah, espionage and explosions. And Nick Fury with two eyes, for some reason, shouldn't be a surprise because he's been in space, so could have got his eye fixed out there. Why not?
1: Yes, or he could have decided that, in this instance, not having the eye patch on makes him look more grizzled and badass.
0: Yeah, but he definitely has two working eyes. Which he didn't before.
1: Well, I'm certain if the scratch one is working, because
0: it looked kind of
1: greyed out and blind to me.
0: All right, well, Maybe I missed that then. Because he just, for whatever
1: reason, decided to not wear the eye patch.
0: He does have it on in one part of the trailer, though. But it looks good. I do wonder if this is the right time to have a story about immigrants trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> Considering what's going on in the real world, maybe you don't want to be feeding into that kind of paranoia. Depends what they do with it, but it seems a bit of a risk.
1: Yeah, though I suspect there is going to be more of the story than what was shown in the trailer.
0: Well, undoubtedly,
1: least of all because it was ultimately revealed that the squirrels aren't really villains; they're just the people looking for a home who are being constantly subjugated by the Kree.
0: Yeah, although that's just that collection of scrolls.
1: Exactly. In the same way that you can't say that all humans are ascribed to one way of thinking, it would be unreasonable to expect another species to do that.
0: Other than for comic book simplicity, I suppose. True, yes. Planet of Hats, as they used to call it in Star Trek.
1: I was going to say that. I wasn't too sure if it would be too obscure a reference.
0: (laughs) For those who don't know what that means, it's just everybody on a planet is governed by a single belief system, and no one ever disagrees with it, other than the character that has to disagree with it in order to move the plot forward.
1: That yes, was actually even parodied in, in Babylon 5, where we were like, one half of them have purple sashes, one half of them have green sashes, and they will hate each other, even though the, the sashes are handed out randomly. <laughs> and one picks up a sash, becomes part of that sashed army, and it's all just completely ridiculous, which is the point.
0: In terms of this, I don't think this will be anything like the comic book, Secret invasion, because it doesn't seem like we have that many people around for the Skrulls to impersonate, and the Avengers don't currently exist, so it can't be, ooh, Iron Man's an Avenger, because there is no Iron Man, or whatever, so it does seem like it'll be a bit more of a grounded, behind-the-scenes type thing, where, oh look, the senator or whoever is a Skrull, and things like that. I don't know how that makes it any different from Hydra, really, because we already did this, but... Who
1: knows? It would depend on what the Skrull's ultimate agenda is. Yeah. And in the trailer, it certainly seemed like there was uh, a lot more focus on skulking in the shadows rather than full-on sci-fi action scenes. So I would presume that's what we can expect from the series itself.
0: Aaron made an interesting point about this and about various other things in the MCU because you've had all these clandestine organisations that seem to be vying for world domination. So why don't they ever encounter each other? Mm -hmm. You have Hydra and you've got the guy in Black Widow played by Ray Winston that apparently had tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Black Widows at his disposal and could have just ruled the world immediately. So why didn't Hydra get wind of this and try and a stop to this? Especially when they had a Black Widow on the S.H.I.E.L.D. team.
1: Yeah, that is quite a good point, actually.
0: So now the scrolls are at it. So what other clandestine organisations are like, hang on, we're trying to rule the world here. What are you doing? Go and do something else.
1: This is our game. You can play.
0: We talked about that a lot in the Arrowverse, how every now and again they'd introduce some random secret organisation that was bent on world domination that was different to the last <laughs> secret organisation that was bent on world domination. Yeah. So right. The League of Assassins never encountered whatever those aliens were called in Supergirl. Leviathans, maybe?
1: Yeah, 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 the organisation Leviathan.
0: But they had the same agenda as some other people we've seen, and they never have any issues with each other for some reason. Civil war that's going on underneath the surface. between <laughs> all these people are trying to rule the world. That's why they've never succeeded, because they're, they're all fighting each other.
1: That would be quite an interesting story idea to play with, actually.
0: The heroes get wind of it when they stop one of them and find out that they've created this power vacuum that leaves it wide open for the other one to take mm. control. <laughs> oh, yeah, They probably should have just left things as they were. You do get that a lot in Punisher or Daredevil stories, actually, where the Punisher mows down an entire gang so this other gang just takes over because they have no opposition now.
1: Yes, which is exactly why the Punisher is like, so relentless because that's always going to happen. There's always going to be other bad guys to take place of the ones that you kill.
0: Yeah, Daredevil manages to get a crime boss in jail and then another crime boss just... Muscles in on his territory. Same idea. Yep. But it looks cool. I hope there'll be a bit more cameo stuff or a bit of extra MCU detail in there that makes it bigger than it seems to be. It also seems like Secret Invasion could have just been a great season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: Definitely. Even though Kevin Feige has effectively decanonized that from the MCU entirely.
0: Well, I think the producers of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did that themselves as well, as in, well, you're not going to tell us what you're up to in Endgame, so we'll just make it up and do our own thing. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a
1: shame after they spent so much effort constantly linking the series back to the mainline movies and then to just suddenly have a rug pulled from under them and having to rework everything that they did done for the past two years and then just carry on and have the most oblique references to what's going on to just give some vague illusion of continuity.
0: Yeah, no sign of Daisy Johnson in this show, in this trailer which has been heavily rumoured to the point where people are annoying Chloe Bennett in public.
1: i I didn't see that.
0: It was ages ago, but people were approaching her when she was out shopping and saying, are you in Secret Invasion? She's like, I don't know what that is, leave me alone. Yeah, that's just ignorant. Yeah, I think at some point they might try and bring back some of those characters, hopefully. Anyway, I would like to see Daisy show up in something played by Chloe Bennett, even if it is a new version of the character.
1: She has essentially done that. She played Daisy in those Marvel Rising animated shorts, who was a different version of Quig.
0: Who interacted with Gwen Stacy and...
1: Uh, America Chavez and Squirrel Girl. A few others, can't remember.
0: Dove Cameron, also of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fame, played Gwen Stacy in that. That's true, yes. And people seem to think she should play live-action Gwen Stacy when that eventually happens. It's because she's white and blonde.
1: Pretty much, yeah. No other reason. White Blonde has done Marvel stuff before.
0: But if they can bring in Daredevil, then they could bring in Quake and make it a slightly different version. When Charlie Cox was asked about Born Again, he said that it is a season one. Effectively, it's not a continuation of the Netflix show, which I knew anyway. Yeah. But that's him confirmed it now. So they can do that. There's no reason why not. It's just, here's an actor that we liked playing... The MCU version of this character.
1: The Netflix shows were supposed to be in the same reality as the MCU movies. Though they were so disconnected from them, it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah, and then they eventually just ruled it out and said, nah, they're not. They're just a separate thing now. Yeah. Anyway, let us move on. We have casting for the Thunderbolts, which is supposed to be essentially Marvel's Suicide Squad, although the casting, it most definitely is not. <laughs> the Thunderbolts cast includes Florence Pugh as Yelena Belova, Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes or The Winter Soldier, David Harbour as Red Guardian, Julia Louise Dreyfus as La Contessa Valentina Allegra de la Fontaine, Wyatt Russell as John Walker or US agent, Olga Kurlinko as Taskmaster, and Hannah John-Kamen as Ghost. So if you remove Ghost, who actually has powers that could be of some use, what you have is just Captain America types everywhere else.
1: Yeah, i see a lot of that observation flying around Twitter. But to be honest, I think it's unhelpfully reductive to see them all as just that.
0: Yeah, I know they're all very different people with different personalities and backstories and things that can either come together well or cause some friction between them. But in terms of you're doing this team-up film and they're all just punchers and flippers...
1: Yeah, but even then, they do all have different styles of fighting. With Elena, she fights the same way as Natasha, being very, very agile and possible to catch, and just what she can do next or where direction she's going to go in. Red Guardian is like someone who just relies on brute strength and durability. Bucky's a sort of kind of mix of strength and skill. John Walker is brutally violent, and Taskmaster's thing is that she can literally fight like anyone. Also, uh, another way you can look at them, each member of the team in one way or another, is kind of a failed experiment, with Red Guardian being an attempt to recreate Captain America, Bucky being a sleeper agent assassin who went rogue, Yelena being someone who broke out of her mental conditioning, things like that. And I think exploring those kind of ideas, rather than just focusing on their skills and abilities, is a lot more of an interesting story.
0: Well, I completely agree with that, but I do think they could have been a bit more imaginative in terms of putting this team together. They could have had more of that, because... Everybody was expecting the Abomination to be there, for example, and you would easily tie into the failed experiment theme. Yeah. The thing about the Thunderbolts is they are a riff on the Avengers that's a bit less... Clean. Yeah. I'm not suggesting they might have got Mordo in there or whatever, but you could have all these types. You've got these riffs on the characters you already know with the same abilities, but they use them differently or they think about them differently. It just seems a bit cheap that they've just got all these characters that they just came up with recently and slammed them together.
1: I do agree with that, certainly. I just don't think it's going to be as repetitive and unimaginative as a lot of people seem to have already written it off as.
0: I do like all these characters, don't get me wrong, and I think they will... Merge well together in some ways We've already seen what Yelena and Red Guardian Will be like when they're together Because that was in Black Widow quite heavily We've already seen how John and Bucky will interact That's going to be fun I suppose Taskmaster could have a bit of a personality Which she didn't have in her last appearance Also true I was under the impression that Ghost was cured At the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp
1: Yeah, I was going to bring that up I suspect what may have happened is that Her quantum phase shifting Has been stabilised and it's now something that she's able to use at will.
0: Yeah, so basically what you'll have is everybody else fighting whoever's there, and she just walks through a wall to do the actual work. Exactly. There's a reductive take on what the plot will be. Another counter to the whole idea of why is it this lot is because they're the only people that, almost qualify as villains that are actually still alive. That is actually a very good point, yes. But I don't think the Thunderbolts in the comics was ever technically villains as such. They were more morally ambiguous. You had other proper villain teams, like the Dark Avengers, for example, where you had Norman Osborn with pulling together a team of Avengers.
1: Yeah, because they're meant to be, at best, anti-heroes, more partially reformed villains.
0: It's a bit of a shame that Bucky doesn't seem to be in the Captain America movie, at least that we know of so far, which brings us on to our last bit of news, where we have casting for Captain America... New World Order. Obviously we're getting Anthony Mackie reprising his role as Sam Wilson Carl Lumley who was in Falcon Winter Soldier series is going to be Isaiah Bradley again and we have Shira Haas playing a character called Sabra and Tim Blake Nelson is coming back as the leader. Another one dredged up from the <laughs> Incredible Hulk movie. So Right from the past. Who's left from there? We just need Liv Tyler. That's the only one we need to come back isn't it? No. Oh I suppose Doc Samson.
1: Yeah, because we've already had General Ross come back into things.
0: Yes, and the actor is dead, so
1: he won't be That moved. is also true, yes.
0: Surprises me that the leader will be the villain in a Captain America movie. I have a working theory, and it may well be disproven by the time this episode comes out, or it may be proven. But I'm thinking that the person after Jen Walter's blood and She-Hulk might be the leader. And this casting seems to support that theory. That actually tracks, yeah. Although it doesn't explain why he would hire such idiots to try and do it, but that's what villains do.
1: Yeah, well, maybe they probably just had an edge because they had some Asgardian weaponry.
0: Yeah, so we'll see. But it be interesting to see what he's up to. It just surprises me because I expected Sharon Carter to be the villain, or to at least be involved. Yeah,
1: rather than just kicking around on Poundland Singapore being a
0: secret crime boss. Exactly. Sabra is a mutant, who may not be a mutant in this film, who knows? I would suspect not. Although, considering that in Ms. Marvel they introduced the concept of mutants, maybe she is. Mm. She's an Israeli character, so that's something. It is, yeah. She has superhuman strength, speed, agility, stamina, reflexes and endurance. She can fly via technology and she wears wrist gauntlets that fire plasma bursts and paralyzing quilts. She can also transfer her life energy to other people. Something tells me that there'll be a lot of changes made to her for this.
1: Yeah, I imagine that she won't have the speed, endurance and fighting ability and possibly able to shoot kind of shockwave kind of things.
0: Maybe, yeah. It's curious that this is coming out within a couple of months of Thunderbolt, so you've got effectively two Black Widow Captain America sequels that possibly just should be the same film, split up into two things.
1: They're both kind of delving into a Captain America world, absent of Steve Rogers. Yeah. I'm just looking at it from... Different perspectives. My own theory about about the actual plot of it is: I think it's going to be some kind of conspiracy thing or a massive cult going on, just with the subtitle of New World Order.
0: That makes sense, yeah.
1: And also having a villain literally called the leader. <laughs> it just sounds a bit too close to those kinds of stories to not pick up and run with it.
0: Yeah, it does conjure up thoughts of that, but we'll find out. We shall see. So that was D twenty three. So should we cut back to it ourselves in the future and continue on our discussion?
1: Yes, let's do that thing, because I badly need to go find some ridiculously overpriced food in this convention hall that we are in.
0: Yes, and I want to buy an authentic Kevin Feige baseball cap. Yes, that's proof. One that was potentially worn by him. You never know. Hey, that was that. How good was that event, though? Those free drinks we all got and things. I had so
1: many of them. There's a point where
0: I just stopped remembering, because that's how special and important we are. (laughs) Yeah, Kevin Feige himself invited us. Imagine that was real life. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to trailers. We have a few of them, and there's a variety of them, and we've got quite a few horror ones this month. It's almost as if the internet or the news cycle knew it was your turn.
1: And there's absolutely nothing to do with us about to go into October, where
0: studios do tend to dump
1: their horror releases.
0: And you would think I actually planned for you to be on at this point, where a lot of the horror news would be, but I didn't. It was just the way it went.
1: Just some very very good luck that I'm here to lend my specialised expertise.
0: Happy accidents do happen. Trailers then. Let's start with Black Adam. We've got Trailer 2, which is an awful lot like Trailer 1. It's more of the same. It's a film about The Rock being invincible, but he's always invincible. So what's the difference? The plot of this seems to be about convincing him to be a hero rather than an angry destroyer, which probably fits with a contemporary play of black adam in comics where he's more of an anti-hero rather than a straight-up villain like he used to be i wonder if the artist will start drawing him to look more like the rock after this it's
1: possible because there have been times where the comic book image of a character was influenced by an actor that played him in a movie a while back the comics version of aquaman was drawn with the same tattoos that jason momoa has on his arms
0: yeah, and then Wally West changed race in the new 52, which was around the time that the TV show was happening and so forth. Indeed, yes. And Christopher Reeve became the template for Superman for a while.
1: Indeed, which actually worked quite well because to many people he basically is Superman.
0: Although I suppose the drawing of Superman looked a bit like Christopher Reeve anyway.
1: Yeah, he does have that very generically American handsomeness to him.
0: Yeah, but Black Adam, the film, looks okay. Pretty sick of seeing the trailer at this point, though, because I've been to the cinema a few times Mm -hmm. and it's always on. It's one of those trailers where you're sitting thinking, I can't wait till this comes out, so I'd have to look at this anymore. But I think it looks okay. Some of the visual stuff is quite interesting. Hawkman looks cool. Doctor Fate looks cool. Black Adam himself looks a bit generic, but I wonder if I'm just looking at him thinking, that's a rock. I find it difficult to see him as a character anymore.
1: Yeah, that's one of the problems when you become... So famous that your very presence overshadows the characters that you're actually
0: playing. There was that picture that was doing the rounds that these are from four separate movies and it was just The Rock looking identical <laughs> in four different stills. The worst part is I could name exactly which one all of them were. So. What does that say about me?
1: Nothing else. It is going to be at least slightly different having The Rock play play a character who is somewhat villainous. It isn't something that he often does. Performer often either a straight hero or an kind of anti hero character.
0: Yeah, I suppose the closest would be in the Fast and Furious movie where he is their antagonist, but he's not a villain.
1: And there was that Dire Doom movie that he was in with Carl Urban.
0: Yeah, but that's before what he is now. Yeah. I'd forgotten he was in that film, actually, until you said it. I think most people have forgotten that film even exists. It isn't the best. But obviously I'll watch this, because i watch any comic book adaptation. Well, of course, it's required. Even though probably shouldn't be supporting them because they're not releasing Batgirl, which apparently tested about the same as this did. Yeah, every excuse
1: they come out with that just sounds more and more transparent. Oh, yes. Basically, they cancelled it in a tax write-off cost-saving exercise, and most likely saw it as a viable option because its star and directors are all not white.
0: Yeah. And you can't cancel the film that The Rock is in because you don't want to upset The Rock.
1: I guess there is a, re- a reason that it's not watch anymore, but for a while it was often referred to as franchise Viagra. <laughs> but when someone is arguably the biggest action star on the planet, like, you just let him do whatever the hell he wants.
0: Until people get sick of him, which will eventually happen.
1: Oh, undoubtedly, but I don't see that happening for a while yet.
0: No. But any other thoughts on this Black Adam trailer? Nothing that isn't
1: going to repeat pretty much what you said about it. It looks fine. I'm going to see it regardless of how I think it's going to turn out and I expect it will be a fun, entertaining but distinctly middle of the road experience
0: Probably, yeah. It does copy a shot from Iron Man I noticed in this trailer I think it was in the first one as well it's where he's in the middle of the two jets Yes. It was quite a distinctive shot from Iron Man but I think that was also in the Iron Man trailer so that makes sense that it's something that would just get burned into my retina's in the same way this has.
1: God, how many times did you see that trailer before the movie? Yeah, it
0: doesn't bear thinking about. Moving on. We've got a short teaser for Sonic Prime, which just seems to be a bit of an animation demo to be fair. Looks like it is a video game cutscene. The animation looks good, it has shadow in it, which is a character I don't like, so that's upsetting. But there's a Sonic show coming on Netflix, so might be alright. Sonic is a bit in vogue at the moment because the films have done well and they're doing that Knuckles series on Paramount Plus, so For some reason, Netflix are just doing another Sonic cartoon. Yeah,
1: because once a particular property becomes well-known and popular, what else are you supposed to do other than completely drive it into the ground until everyone is sick
0: of it? Pretty much. And they're still releasing mediocre, too bad Sonic games on various gaming systems, so that's never going to change. To be honest, it's been
1: years since I've been any kind of gamer, so I haven't really kept up with them. But from what I've seen and heard, I can't really see that I'm missing much.
0: Not really. But this, there's not much to say about it because, like I say, it's just a bit of an animation demo, so it's not clear what it'll actually be about or anything like that. It does look like it will just be Sonic being Sonic and saving people and fighting people and Robotnik's in it, but they're calling him Eggman. I hate that that's become the normal naming him. Yep, same. That's because I'm old school, apparently. Newer Sonic fans won't really know any different.
1: But they are young people they don't know any better. It's only people who had the fortune to be born inside the arbitrary age bracket that we belong to, who grew up in the cultural sweet spot where everything was perfect and it was only after we were about 23-25 to years old that the things started to deteriorate
0: Yes, because nothing was ever bad back then No. And I'll fight anybody who suggests otherwise. I won't fight anybody That would be a short fight (laughs) Next trailer is Babylon It's Damien Chazelle directing a hollywood movie that is a love letter to hollywood because you always get those around oscar time it seems that we get at least once a year this year we're getting two at least it interests me in the way that it looks like it's about contrasts as in there's the dreamy aspect of hollywood and then there's the real side of it which seems to be what the characters in this film are focused on and it looks a bit off color and unpleasant and sleazy sleazy yeah which Probably more accurate than the idealised look at it. Brad Pitt looks like he's having a lot of fun. I always like it when Brad Pitt plays these off-the-wall type characters. It looks like he's having a ton of fun there, so looks alright. Brad
1: Pitt is at a point in his career now where he can just do whatever the hell he likes. He doesn't need to try anymore, so he just has fun with the roles he picks and doesn't have any expectations of it affecting his career in any way because he's pretty much set now.
0: Yeah, I was he might be stopping acting at some point in the near future, so he might only have a couple of films left in him before he... Decides to pack it in and go sit on his money somewhere. Just dive into it like Scrooge McDuck. That would
1: actually be interesting to
0: watch. Maybe that was his last film when he does that. But yeah, this looks alright. I like the cast. Damien Chazelle usually makes a good film as well. So yeah, looks fun. Well, not fun, but it looks good.
1: I think it's, it's going to be a good laugh. I think the slightly demented aspects of it were quite played up to in the trailer. And I suspect that the actual film itself isn't going to be as relentlessly... Demented or energetic as that.
0: Probably not. Yeah, we'll see. On the other side of the coin, we have The Fablemans, which is Steven Spielberg making a film about making films. It has a variation of that shot that you see in a lot of films where they're really in love with the concept of making and watching movies. The eyes widening in the cinema when you see the projector light illuminating them from behind as they watch the majesty unfold on screen.
1: And the illumination from the moving images flickering across their face as their features are contorted in childlike wonder as their lives are changed forever by the magic of cinema.
0: I mean, this is a late-day Spielberg movie, so it makes sense that he might be nostalgic about the fact that he was making films or wanted to make films, and he might want to revisit that. So it makes me think this will be somewhat biographical for him. Not in an explicit way, but it'll be a bit about, oh, what got you so interested in doing this? And why do people get interested in doing this?
1: Yeah, and also the time period of film is likely to be analogous to his own life, when he was the same age as the character in this and falling in love with the movies.
0: Yeah. yeah, every year we get a film that's about Hollywood being in love with Hollywood. I guess it's good Oscar bait, as long as it's better than La La Land. Yeah, I said it.
1: There are very few things that the Oscars love more than a self-congratulatory circle jerk.
0: Yep. So we'll see which one of those gets it. It'll be the battle between Babylon and this one, the Fablemans. Or maybe it won't. I don't know. We shall see. We shall see. Moving on to something a bit different, we have The School for Good and Evil, which is a Netflix series based on a series of books about a secret academy that trains good and evil, and it's the genesis of all the fairy tales that we know, like Cinderella and so forth. They're all products of that school, heroes and villains. It looks like the story is going to be about rejecting binaries and choosing your own path, and whether there are sides or whether that's an artificial construct created by this school. That's what it looks like we're getting into here. It looks fine. Lawrence Fishburne is playing Morpheus, essentially, (coughs) by the looks of things. I don't know anything about the books, so I don't know if the ideas are in any way interesting or have any depth or whether that's just something that young adults read and therefore netflix are making it because young adults will read it and they will promise something that can last three or four seasons and then cancel it after one like they usually do so i don't know but it looks fine i guess harry potter-esque you can tell that's where the books got their inspiration from
1: i've not read the the books myself because i'm at least 20 years beyond the target demographic for one (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I totally agree with what it looks like the story is going for about making your own choices and not following these specific paths that other people have set out for you and choosing your own destiny rather than having it thrust upon you by forces out with your control
0: Yeah, it's a pretty standard coming-of-age story, isn't it? You have to decide what you want to be rather than being forced into something that people think you want to be or people want you to be, those kinds of things
1: It looks interesting enough and decently shot and filmed, and I'm sure that the existing fans of other books will absolutely love it, and the series will likely gain a lot more readers along the way.
0: Then they'll be really upset when Netflix cancel it after one season. Yes, and there'll be massive
1: online outcries and various Twitter hashtags demanding that it be saved, and promises that the creatives behind it will shop the series around various other networks of which nothing will come off.
0: That's the pattern. That's the cycle of these things. I sometimes really wish I wasn't so cynical. <laughs> it's hard not to be in this exactly landscape that we live in. Okay, we're moving into a bit of a horror section. Yes, yes we are. <laughs> the first one up is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which is about Winnie the Pooh and surviving friends going on a murderous rampage because they feel abandoned, I suppose. It seems that that's where it's going from that. This exists because the Winnie the Pooh copyright entered public domain fairly recently, so they've been given the opportunity to make this. And as I understand it, Mickey Mouse is moving into public domain at some point pretty soon, which might mean that you'll get something like this out of Mickey Mouse. In terms of this trailer, it looks like a pretty standard slasher movie. So I'm wondering, is the novelty just going to be it? And is it going to be enough to carry it? Is it going to give us anything that's in any way interesting? Or is it just going to be, it's a slasher movie, but is someone in a really crude Winnie the Pooh mask stabbing people instead? Yeah, that's kind of what it seems
1: like to me. It certainly has the vibe of a slasher movie made in the mid to late 80s. But I think that if the film actually did have anything to say, or that there was more to it than that, then that would have at least been vaguely alluded to rather than just having various shots of characters being murdered, but framed in such a way that you can't see which ones they actually are.
0: When the trailer started, I thought it was going to be like a really dark version of the Christopher Robin movie that had Jude McGregor in it, because it starts off with him going back to the Hundred Acre Wood, and it's, oh yeah, we haven't seen these people in a while, or whatever, instead of reconnecting with his childhood pals. He gets murdered by his childhood pals. But that's not what the film seems to be.
1: I think it was just an idea that somebody had that they tried to spin out into full-length film before they realised that the idea itself isn't substantial enough for a full-length film.
0: Yeah, we'll see. It's not too far out. In fact, by the time you're listening to this, it might already be out. I think it's pretty early October it's out, which is the same for a couple of these trailers, actually, but put them in because horror and it will be interesting to get your take on them. So Winnie the Pooh stabbing people you think it's just going to be generic but it will be probably consumed by more people because of Winnie the Pooh.
1: Pretty much, yeah. I'm just not really holding out for anything
0: particularly special. I guess it's being made for shock value as in the corrupting childhood in that way just to be noticed. I don't know. It's probably not going to be that interesting.
1: It might have some themes about corruption and the innocence of childhood distorting traumatic memories but Quite often when films like this have those ideas, they aren't usually explored very well. They're just like presented as concepts rather than actually doing
0: anything with them. I mean, by this logic, we could see a Toy Story film where it's about the toys killing their owners or former owners for abandoning them after they grew up. That would be an idea. Something would surprise me. Wait a hundred years until that goes out of copyright. I don't think that'll happen, though. I think they're much more savvy than that these days.
1: I do remember a sketch in an episode of Robot Chicken, which has Andy as this older teenager seeking a girl into his bedroom and in the heat of a moment ends up using Buzz to make a makeshift bong.
0: <laughs> when Andy becomes Sid. Yeah. So on the token of taking something that was a thing and turning it into horror, bring it on, cheer or die. It's a very short teaser. I have basically the same notes on this as I do for the Winnie the Pooh one. Looks like a pretty standard slasher, but will the novelty carry it? And it's not actually the first horror film I've seen that's about deranged cheerleaders, actually. So is it even the novelty? You know more about horror than I do. I suspect it isn't.
1: The novelty more comes from the fact that it's part of a franchise which is decidedly not horror. And for whatever reason, it's a lighthearted comedy film uh, by cheerleading squads. And in this one, there's also a psychotic killer on the loose.
0: I've seen the first one with Kirsten Dunst and Eliza Dushku.
1: I'm not entirely sure how many of them I've seen because I can't remember much about any of them and what I can remember kind of blends together. Well, one thing about this one that does make me a little more optimistic is the fact that it's being directed by karen lamb who i've been familiar with for quite a while Uh, a while back she directed this horror movie called evangeline which actually in the uk was released as angel of death uh, about this ridiculously naive girl who starts college and ends up being brutalized and left for dead by this band of 20-something psychopaths and she merges with the spirit of a vengeance demon which gives her the strength to take revenge on them all but as well as that it also had some introspective aspects about how self-destructive vengeance can be so i'm hopeful that with her behind it it might end up being a little less generic than
0: is being immediately presented it's out pretty soon as well again by the time you're listening to this it might already be out so i guess we'll find out we shall and i will certainly be checking out as soon as possible Cool. The next one is probably something a bit more serious, I guess, in terms of horror Hellraiser, the long gestating reboot. As I understand it, they've been trying to get this off the ground for a long, long time. And there's, of course, some controversy because Pinhead is now a woman rather than a man, which is, of course, a problem for everything.
1: Yeah, because it's not as if the very concept of the Cenobites is them being so tortured within Hell so so long that everything that made them once human and um, as gradually eroded and burned away from them. Or the fact that in the novella The Hellbound Heart, which was the basis for the original Hellraiser movie, the character who was analogous to Pinhead was actually described as looking female, and it was only in the adaptation that they became a man. Okay, so
0: anybody... Making those kind of comments just has no idea what they're
1: talking about then. Pretty much, yes. (laughs) And I do love the fact that the actor playing Pinhead, Jamie Clayton, is actually trans. Just because everything that Clive Barker wrote is queer as hell. And I think that having a trans person front and centre in the film is a great continuation of that tradition of his writing. I also really liked the fact that the puzzle box that was seen in the trailer was considerably more elaborate than the one that was shown in the original run of movies. The way the concept worked is that, actually, as I mentioned in the trailer, there's different configurations that you can get the puzzle box into. And one of them, which was referred to as the Lament configuration, was the one that opened the door to summon the Cenobites, which was supposed to be very, very complicated to actually find. But in in original films, it was kind of just twisting a thumb around a circle, which caused some of the sections of the box to kind of split open and twist it around like, 15 degrees and shove it back down again and that was it whereas this one the whole thing was opened up into really elaborate shapes where all the like spikes and plates need to be put into very specific positions to make it do exactly what was intended of it i just love that someone actually when making the film decided to incorporate that
0: level of detail i haven't seen the old films i'm guessing it's a situation where the first one's really good and then it's diminishing returns after that
1: more or less, yeah. It fluctuates a bit. The first one is very good, and the second and the third are actually also fairly decent ones. Fourth one was basically Hellraiser in space, <laughs> because sooner or later, pretty much every slasher franchise does that. Yep. The fifth one was kind of generic murder mystery of a detective investigating this string of brutal murders. The sixth one I like more than most people did. The seventh one I can hardly remember anything about. Says it all. The eighth one, I'm pretty sure, was a completely different script that was really retrofitted to make it a Hellraiser movie, because it just seemed, seemed a generic slasher thing and is really only notable for featuring a rather young Henry Cavill. Anyway, basically, as a series, overall, it's not the best. So I'm looking forward to seeing what new things they do with this reboot of it. And this is a straight reboot, yeah. It's not continuing in any way. As far as I understand it, it's not a continuation, no. Because, you know, the trend is...
0: Well, only the first one happened and now that's right or whatever
1: no it's nothing like that
0: okay i think it looks pretty good as a horror film goes so i'll probably check it out i'm getting from what you're saying you're pretty damn excited about it absolutely can't wait well they've finally made it happen so there we go speaking of revived franchises we have a trailer for halloween ends the final trailer which makes sense because it's out pretty soon i have mixed thoughts on this rebooted Halloween franchise that ignores everything after the first film and makes this Halloween 2, 3 and 4 which is really confusing if you try and explain it to people. Ignore the first continuity, then ignore the continuity that started with H2O and then ignore the Rob Zombie reboot continuity and only watch the first film.
1: Also, by default, ignore the other continuity from 4, 5 and 6 The H 20 blow the war
0: It's very confusing. But it's easy enough if you just say, just watch the first one and then these films. You can pick your continuity with Halloween, whichever one you like at this point.
1: Almost like a cinematic horror, choose-your-own-adventure type thing. Yeah, pretty
0: much. I liked the 2018 one. I thought it was decent enough. I didn't like Halloween Kills. I felt like it tried to have something to say about mob mentality and vigilante justice and all those things, but ended up having nothing to say about any of them.
1: I was a bit more ambivalent on the 2018 one, because one thing, as I just mentioned, the continuity of Halloween is screwed up enough as it is, while well, adding another branch to it. And I'm still a bit on the fence about the notion of legacy sequels and how truly necessary they are. But the thing that frustrates me a bit about this new trilogy is that even though the continuity of it is it's just these three and the 70s original. It's suggesting that the scale of it is encompassing everything about the entire franchise and that this is the ultimate culmination to it even though by its own narrative it's asking us to ignore 80 percent of it
0: the thing about the 2018 one is when they mentioned that there was only what four people killed or something like that and that wasn't my memory of the original film but obviously my memory was skewed by the fact that it's just ballooned into something much more huge the body count is insane for michael myers after that point but yeah the first film is relatively low in the body count stakes
1: Exactly, and then in the reboot, Michael kills more people in the prologue than he does in the entire film.
0: Yeah, I quite like the Rob Zombie reboot actually, because it did at least try to do something different. Not that we need to see Michael Myers' tragic backstory, but at least it was an angle that wasn't explored before.
1: Yeah, but it also goes against the base concept of the franchise is that Michael is this embodiment of faceless, relentless evil, and death and destruction, and to Attempt to humanise that, to me, that just fundamentally undermines everything that franchise was going for right from its very beginning. I think it's partly to do with a uh, problem with Rob Zombie's view on horror films anyway, in that he considers the monsters and the killers in horror movies to be a more integral aspect than the people that they're stalking and killing. And while it might certainly be the case that a slasher killer is always going to be the face of a franchise, it's the people who end up being hunted by them that actually makes the films interesting. Because if you don't care about them, then naturally you don't care about anything that's happening. And this is something that Rob Zombie seems to fundamentally misunderstand, or at least disagree with. And to the record, I absolutely hate his Halloween movies. I just think they are pointless retreads that miss what the films are actually about and it's just him actually being given the chance to say okay well if i were doing these movies this is what i would have done because i think this is better i know that there are many people who absolutely love the films and think they're fantastic including some very prominent voices in the horror community but personally they just do not work for me
0: at all i like the first one but the second one is just weird Far too weird. And
1: as for this one, which I actually hear to talk about, yeah. it seemed to be, again, just about believing itself to be this ultimate culmination. Certainly, everything that was put into the trailer was incredibly beholden to what's come previously. There were multiple shots in it that were deliberate recreations of ones from earlier movies to the extent that at one point one of them is actually juxtaposed with the that it's an homage of if it weren't for the actual presence of Michael Myers then it would just look like a trailer for an incredibly generic slasher movie that has absolutely nothing interesting to offer
0: yeah I was confused by the fact that it seems to be four years later in this trailer because it seemed like they were going to be just continuing on from where the second one left off
1: That would certainly be the most logical choice.
0: Which set up Michael Myers as being this supernatural force that was indestructible, which in that film comes from absolutely nowhere.
1: Yeah, again, that's these films picking and choosing which aspects of the lore are relevant to them, while at the same time declaring them to be part of a continuity that no longer exists.
0: Do you think Halloween will end as the title promises? I doubt it.
1: In this form, certainly. However, I would be very surprised if... This is the last Halloween movie ever made.
0: The next one will be a reboot that follows on from the first two films, which therefore restores the sister twist. Indeed, yes. J.B. Lee Curtis will probably die in this one again, I'm guessing.
1: Probably. That certainly seems to be where the trailer suggests that the story's going.
0: She's died in... The previous two Halloween continuities, isn't she? As in the ones that are connected to the original 70s film, not the reboot.
1: Yeah, at the start of Halloween 4, it was stated that she was killed in a car crash sometime previously. And then the focal point being her daughter, Jamie. After being brought back in age 20, she was then killed in the prologue of the next one, Halloween Resurrection. Honestly, those opening 10 minutes were better than everything else about that entire fucking film.
0: Is that the one where he switches places with a orderly or something? He puts the mask on someone else? Oh, no, what, what
1: happened there was that he was supposed to have been killed at the end of H20 when Laurie decapitated him with an axe. But then a the of Resurrection, that was retconned with the fact that he switched clothing with like a, a paramedic, like it was. And it was him who Laurie had decapitated. Yeah, so dumb. Very. And that's not even going into the main body of Resurrection, which was all, all about like a Big Brother-style house streaming thing, because... Those kind of things were really big in the early 2000s.
0: Yeah, that was the style at the time. surprised Scream never did that. They kind of touched on it in
1: Scream 4, with the idea of social media and following and whatnot. But that actual broadcast over the internet type thing wasn't really somewhere it felt any need to go, evidently.
0: Yeah, I guess there wasn't a Scream film made around about the height of reality TV as it was. It was kind of after that, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, and its main point was to satirise the glut of horror and slasher remakes, which was a massive trend in the early to mid-2000s.
0: So we'll see how this turns out. I'm not optimistic based on how dull I found Halloween kills. I'm not really expecting much from this. I will see it, though, because I do like the Halloween franchise, so I feel compelled to just watch it.
1: Yeah, same. I definitely am going to see it, but it's more something I'm going to be watching because it's there and I feel an obligation to rather than because of any specific desire or excitement about the prospect of it.
0: And then you might be pleasantly surprised. Who knows? Could well be. You never know. Yeah. Moving on, we have a sequel to a film I liked, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, which is the return of Benoit Blanc solving another murder with a ridiculously stacked cast of A-listers and so on. It looks really good. I really hope it matches the first. The thing about a trailer that's detailing a mystery is that you have to be really careful about how much you show. But it looks like more of Daniel Craig having a blast, the cast chewing the scenery, etc. So hopefully it'll continue to be as engaging as the first one, especially since they're making quite a few of them at Netflix. I've actually got a ticket booked to see it in a cinema as part of London Film Festival when they're doing extra regional screenings across the UK and one of them is, is this. So I'll see it in the cinema before it comes out on Netflix. So I'm excited about that. But yes... I like the look of this. I like the first one. I hope this will be as engaging as the first one.
1: I am really, really looking forward to this. I thought Knives Out was a absolutely spectacular film. It's up between that one and Brick for my favourite of Ran Johnson's movies. And as you say, this one looks to be conceptually quite similar. And in the vein of Knives Out being a riff on the Agatha Christie style of storytelling, I mean uh investigation into a single murder this one looks to be kind of a variation of death on the Nile, where it wasn't just the one murder but a series of them as the film progresses which seemed like it was suggested in the trailer that that was where it was going to go
0: yeah and they obviously made a version of death in the nile recently which was apparently rubbish
1: i actually didn't hate it to be honest the scale of the production was far more lavish than it really needed to be but as a telling of the story i actually thought it worked fairly well
0: oh i didn't see it so i was only going by what- People who did see it told me, and maybe it's one of those things that was popular to hate, and it's not as bad as it's been made out to be, I don't
1: know. Maybe it's just a thing of people just being determined to not like it as much as Murder on the Orient Express.
0: Very possibly. Moving on, we have Rosaline. Rosaline, however you pronounce it. It's the behind the scenes of Romeo and Juliet, but in a comedic slant The dialogue is incredibly anachronistic, which actually put me off when I was watching the trailer. My first thought is, is she a time traveller? But then everybody's talking like that, so it's just they're wearing period clothes and talking like modern day people, and that's all that's happening. I don't know what to make of it. It looks okay. I think some of it looks like it could be kind of amusing. The idea of this familiar story and then telling something that weaves in and out of it and poking fun at it, I'm kind of down with, but... I don't know if it's going to be in any way interesting beyond that concept. I don't know if they'll do anything interesting with it. But it certainly stood out how the dialogue was. I actually had a, kind
1: of the opposite reaction to it from that. Before watching the trailer, I thought conceptually okay, this is just another variation of Robin Julia that we've seen to have many dozen times previously. But when it went into the preposterous anachronisms and modern-day teen movie transposed into the 16th century, I actually thought it looked a lot of fun, precisely because it looked so out of place and ridiculous. And I think the fact that it is clearly in no way taking itself seriously is going to be quite a positive aspect of it, and certainly one that quite surprised me in how much it made me look forward to seeing the film itself.
0: I may give it a go. It depends what's going on at the time when it comes out. It's one of those that if I've got nothing else going on, I'll give it a look. Next up is They Cloned Tyrone, which is a Netflix film starring John Boyega, etc. My first thought on this is it's a really terrible trailer for telling you what the film will actually be about.
1: Yes, very much so. I'm really not too sure what they were going for with that trailer.
0: Yeah, that was my thought too.
1: Because it was too much of a single scene that tells us very little about who the characters are and pretty much nothing about what's going on. And it seems like it's going to be a semi-serious story involving cloning and possibly having some racial overtones to do with the fact that it's black people who are being experimented on in this manner as a result of their lives being seen as more expendable than those of white people.
0: Yeah, so just get out, but not as interesting.
1: Kind of, yeah. That's just me extrapolating from very little. It might not be that at all. That's just my take on it.
0: No, I think it's a fair assumption based on what the trailer gives us, which is, as I say, not much. But John Boyega's in it. He's always good. And Jamie Foxx is in it. He's sometimes good. Is it going to be another forgettable middle-of-the-road Netflix movie? Probably.
1: Yeah, because to be honest, most of them are.
0: Next up we have M. Night Shyamalan's latest effort called Knock at the Cabin which seems to be built around the fact that either Dave Bautista is insane or the world is ending. Either way it ain't good because you might get brutalised by Dave Bautista which I can imagine would be horribly unpleasant. Indeed yes. It seems like it's questioning what the twist is in the trailer itself as in either it will be one way or the other or maybe there's something else hidden behind the surface.
1: Is the apocalypse actually happening or is it about to happen or are these people just Mad,
0: yeah. So Ten Cloverfield Lane, actually, that's what that was.
1: Yeah, it's certainly an apt comparison regarding what Ten Cloverfield Lane was going for in itself. Though with that film specifically, the ambiguity doesn't really work when it's based around whether or not there has been this alien attack, because nothing we're seeing in this film shows us anything either way. But however, in the actual Cloverfield movie, there wasn't just a gigantic rampaging alien destroying New York. So, obviously, the ambiguity doesn't work in that regard, which just really, really bugged me and kind of what could have otherwise been a very tense film. That's not relevant to this, though. Sorry, it's just something I feel compelled to rant about whenever the topic comes up. This one, I'm a little bit ambivalent towards it because conceptually it seems like a good idea and the ambiguity is what's going to cause a lot of fear and tension throughout the film. But, and again, The fact that it's M. Night Shyamalan directing it its kind of got to the point now where him being attached to the project actually makes me expect less of it.
2: Yeah,
0: same. I didn't see old. It was not good. That's kind of what I heard. And I wasn't that interested in it in the first place,
1: so that's why I avoided it. Honestly, I am of the opinion that his best film is Unbreakable. And very little of what he's made since then has lived up to that early promise that he showed.
0: Split was pretty good. Even without the... Twist at the end. I am aware that I'm in a fairly small minority
1: in really having not liked Split, but I do understand why a lot of people responded positively to it. It's just I personally didn't.
0: Fair. Perhaps one day we'll go into further detail as to why. Could be fun. Next up, this one is pretty hot off the presses, to be fair. We have a trailer for The Last of Us, the long awaited tv series adaptation of the video game it is the first game again but with actors instead of animated people so I'm hot off a single viewing of the trailer but i think it looks great the sound of the clicker just unnerved me in the same way it did in the video game so they've used that sound again i suppose <laughs> it looks really good it doesn't give you a lot of dialogue or anything like that it's more of a mood based trailer but the mood it sets is amazing
1: To be honest, it doesn't really need much in the way of dialogue to sell the story.
0: Yeah, and you watch the show and you'll see Joel and Ellie connecting in the father-son way like they do in the game. This could be the video game adaptation that people universally regard as being good. Would uh, certainly seem
1: that way. Though I personally would argue that there have been several video game adaptations that were really, really good.
0: Oh yeah, there's a few that I like. Sonic, for example, people widely regard that as being okay too good. Detective Pikachu. Yeah.
1: And one that doesn't get mentioned enough is a live-action version of Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, which was a Japanese movie done by Takashi Miike. It is absolutely mental. And so much fun because of it. But anyway, that's beside the point. As I mentioned, I'm not much of a gamer anymore, so I haven't played any of the Last of Us games. But even without that pre-existing context, this still looks like a really fantastically engaging post-apocalyptic survival tale and i think i am really going to enjoy it
0: yeah i love the games both of them i know the second one has a lot of naysayers about it but i think it does some really interesting stuff and i don't know if the plan is to do the second game as a series i assume so but you almost have to wait a couple of years for the actress who plays ellie to age up a bit in order to do the second game yeah that's
1: one of the problems with kids
0: yeah it's the problem with using real people instead of computer-generated imagery that you can age up or down as you feel like.
1: Yeah, they have this annoying habit of ageing at a consistent biological rate that you can't really tweak with in any way that isn't wildly unethical.
0: Yeah, but it looks like it's going to be very good, this adaptation of the game, based on what we've seen so far, which is this trailer that
1: we're now talking about. Yep, I'm in total agreement. Looks great. are looking forward to this. I think it's going to be fantastic.
0: Yeah, definitely. Our last trailer is Strange World, which is the new Disney film about people that go on an expedition to another world. And it looks great. Visually, it looks amazing. The film seems to be about legacy and the pressure of living up to it, as in, I'm a big fan of your father. It's quite overt in that, actually, in the trailer. So that's pretty clear that that's what it's driving at. But it looks great. remember way back seeing the concept art for it when we first reported on it on the podcast and I've been excited to follow it ever since because it just looks like it's at least going to be a feast for the eyes when you see it. Whether the actual end product will be as engaging as the visuals suggest is debatable, who knows? But certainly it looks impressive. Absolutely,
1: yeah. I'm certainly getting a very heavy journey to the centre of the earth vibe from it. Yeah. But as you say, narratively, it's going to be a lot more focused on the family dynamics And what can be expected of people is coloured by the achievements of the generation before them. And also what this means for the generation that comes after them as well.
0: Yeah, because it's three generations of the same family that are all involved in this expedition in some way.
1: Which is a very Disney thing for the story to ultimately revolve around family dynamics. Oh, completely. But I think the way that they're doing it in this one looks like it could be quite interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Disney as opposed to Pixar, they are hit and miss in terms of their animated output, but when they do a good one, they do a good one.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: So we've had to come back because I'm not waiting a full month to talk about this by putting on the next news podcast. Ryan Reynolds waited until after we'd recorded, and I know that he did, I know this was him trying to get at me, and I'm not going to hear any arguments to the contrary, but He broke the internet, as they say, by going on social media with a video talking about Deadpool 3, apologising for not making it to D23 before announcing he has nothing for his MCU debut. And then throwing in just a casual reference to the fact that none other than Hubert Jackman, I don't know if that's what Hugh is short for, Hugh Jackman is going to be reprising his role as Wolverine for one final time. One final time, with caveats, I imagine. So what do you think of this reveal? I can honestly say I did not see it coming. Yes. As for the thing itself,
1: I honestly have mixed feelings about It's while wild prospect of having Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool and Hugh Jack as Wolverine playing opposite each other in the same film has this scope for myriad metafictional jokes. I'm still torn by the fact that Logan was an absolutely seminal send-off for the character and to have something after that which let's be honest is as i said going to be the source of a lot of jokes i just think it kind of spoils it a little bit
0: yeah i do agree and we have seen a swan song in effect be undone with patrick stewart returning for a cameo in doctor strange in the multiverse of madness that was nothing and didn't justify bringing that character back for just doing that because it wasn't substantial enough so his exit in Logan well, it wasn't undone because it's still there and you can just ignore the cameo he did in Multiverse of Madness but still if it's your final impression of the character it's not a great one and the concern is that this might be the same thing although I do have a couple of thoughts about it a couple of theories because I like my theories Of course. One of them is that the film is going to be about Deadpool moving universes to the MCU, which means he might be doing some kind of victory lap and saying goodbye to all his good old Fox X-Men chums, which includes Wolverine, which means the whole thing will be about, here's a last hurrah as this character because we'll never see you again sort of thing as Deadpool moves on for greener pastures.
1: That's certainly a possibility. It's worth noting that all that's actually been said is that the film is going to have Hugh Jackman as Wolverine in it. There has been absolutely no indication of just how prominent a role that is going to be.
0: Yeah. They released a video today as we record this addendum where they were supposedly explaining the whole thing, but it was covered over by a song. However, I'm sure the internet is already hard at work reading the lips to find out what they're actually saying, I can't lip read, so I didn't even try. I'll leave it to more interested people.
1: Because there are going to be a ton of people who will be establishing what it was that they're actually saying in the great chase of the elusive content. It is entirely possible that his appearance in Deadpool three is just going to be a glorified cameo, similar to when he appeared in First Class with a very sharp and pointed bit of profanity that efficiently removed him from
0: the rest of the film. I think if that was all it was going to be, they would just leave it. They wouldn't announce that he was going to be part of it. So I think it will be a substantial role, especially if they're dragging him out of retirement, quote-unquote. There is no retirement for these actors playing characters anymore. But if they're dragging him out of retirement to do this, I would suspect that it's going to be pretty substantial.
1: I just find it a little difficult to mentally balance just how much of his presence will be there for the joke value, and how much of it will actually be a substantive and significant aspect of the narrative. It is reasonably safe to assume that a majority of cinema goers will be aware of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, especially who would go to see a movie like Deadpool. But at the same time, it's a little lazy for that assumption to just be assumed. And to actually have Wolverine as part of the story, then there's a lot of groundwork to do for doing so, establishing just how commonplace mutants actually are, and the presence of the X-Men, and how significant they are in that world.
0: Yeah, that's why I think the film is going to be about him leaving his old universe and moving over to ours, or to the MCU.
1: It would certainly make sense to do something like that, and certainly if Deadpool is to become a part of the MCU then that's something that needs to be addressed How we actually got there in the first place
0: I thought they would just do it in a throwaway joke this is weird I'm here now or something and then they would just move on but it seems like they're going to make a story out of it that's what I think anyway I could be totally wrong and it is possible that his appearance will be
1: something to do with the repercussions of the end of Deadpool 2 when Deadpool goes on a rampage across time fixing mistakes or as he calls it cleaning up the timeline
0: yeah where he kills the other version of himself from X Men Origins Wolverine.
1: Yes, and also kills Ryan Reynolds before he can do Green Lantern.
0: So there's no Green Lantern in the MCU. Shame. Although what he could have done by killing Ryan Reynolds before doing Green Lantern is prevented himself from existing, because in a lot of ways Green Lantern probably led to him being Deadpool eventually.
1: Quite probably, yeah. Certainly would have been a step on the way there.
0: Yeah. We'll never know. We have things the way they are. The other theory I have is that this won't be it for Hugh Jackman. He will probably appear in Secret Wars.
1: That's not a prediction I would have made, but that would be interesting if it did happen. Finally get
0: to see Hugh Jackman's Wolverine fight the Hulk. That would be something to see. Well, we'll probably get to see it. Rule nothing out at this point, because apparently anything can happen. Apparently it can, because that's the joy of multiverses. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Ryan Reynolds, for making us come back and add yet more content to the Stacked News podcast. We will return you to your regularly scheduled nonsense. Okay, that is us out of trailers so what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you have a break to go to the replicator while I beam aboard Chris so that we can talk about the Star Trek Day proceedings. We were also there we were invited to that too, but we didn't do an on-set report because they didn't let us so we're just doing it later but I'll beam Chris in so we can talk about it. (laughs) Energising. Chris, welcome to the Titan. I don't think this is the Titan. This isn't the Titan. What are you talking about? It's clearly the Titan. I just told you it was the Titan, so therefore that must be true.
2: Show me where it says this is the Titan. It's on the outside, so unless you brought a spacesuit, then no. Yes, I've got to take your word for it then. You do have to take my word for it, yeah. So,
0: Star Trek Day. We had another Star Trek Day, and they revealed some stuff. Not a lot of stuff,
2: but they revealed some stuff, so... Did you watch the live stream? I was spared that because I was working that night, so I couldn't sit and watch any of it, unfortunately. So I've had to catch up by other means.
0: I watched the whole thing and thought it was pretty tedious, to be honest. There was a lot of filler in there. It was just not all that exciting to sit and watch. It reminded me of Children in Need, or for our US listeners, a telethon. As in, we have to fill however much time we've got with stuff. So, we're just going to have people vamp for a long time. Love we'll people up with their cosplays. They'll strut their stuff a bit, etc. It was just pretty tedious viewing, to be honest, for the most part. And for the stuff that we we're waiting for as well, it wasn't necessarily worth spending my night doing that.
2: It's always the fear that you're going to be missing out on some big, huge groundbreaking, earth-shattering announcement, isn't it? It's that where you you go, oh, I want to watch it live so that I can instantly message anyone else that's watching it about it. Yeah, basically.
0: But let's talk about the things they did reveal. So we'll start with the full teaser for Star Trek Picard Season 3. And when they did the panel, Patrick Stewart did have to make sure to tell the audience that, don't worry, we're back in space. So I wonder if that's an acknowledgement of the criticism that the second season may have got from some corners of the internet including ours so there's an awareness there they're back in space the next generation cast are all there what did you think of this teaser i thought it
2: was okay i'm not excited for another season of picard that's the problem i've had two seasons to try and win me and they still haven't so third season of picard i'm still sitting there going eh still don't know what this season's about but then we didn't know what the last season was about or the season before was about it's all kind of vague we need to get a ship, we need to do a thing, and you get to see familiar faces, and you go, oh, look, it's the familiar faces, and then that's it. It doesn't fill me with excitement, but I don't know why. It just doesn't catch me. I don't know if you were particularly picking through it a lot more than me, but I watched it and thought, yeah, this looks like it could be moments from final episodes of Picard. I don't know, I just I expect three episodes of it, lumbering along doing not very much and then it'll get to some exciting bit, maybe (laughs) for an episode and then they'll give up on that and do something completely different anyway.
0: We've talked about it extensively on two podcasts, what Mm. we did about the first two seasons and it's the fact that we've been underwhelmed or let down by this show more than once and both seasons really haven't been what we would have wanted them to be so there's no reason to assume that the third season is going to pull it out the bag and then dangling the cast of the next generation in front of us to tell us that we're going to enjoy it for that reason alone is a bit manipulative in a way so yeah i can't bring myself to be excited about it and even in that nothing about this teaser made me excited about it because it didn't bring me anything to be excited about starts off with crusher it seems out doing some non-starfleet stuff it seems that she's fighting pirates or something they did talk about how they're going to explore the criminal underbelly of the star trek universe which immediately made me think oh god no because whenever they try to do that in discovery it's a disaster so it doesn't seem like it's going to be that great but crusher is away from starfleet doing illicit medical stuff maybe it seems like <laughs> picard's reason for getting off his arse this season is because of crusher asking for his help so is the Transwarp conduit at the end of the last season, is that a problem anymore? Is it going to be part of this season or is it going to be this personal story about whatever Dr Crusher's doing? Who knows? Certainly from this trailer, at least it doesn't seem like there's the end of the universe looming
2: which is, I suppose, an advantage. But why establish something at the end of a season if you're not going to use it in this season? The thing is, that doesn't surprise me for them to set up a big, massive thing and then go, "Ah, actually, yeah, we're not going to cover that this season. We're going to move on and do something else. We've distracted ourselves with something shiny in the other corner. In order to get Gates McFadden back, we had to promise her an interesting storyline. We can't do that with our trans-warp conduit (laughs) (laughs) storyline that we had planned, so we're going to do this. We're into backroom medical interventions in the criminal underworld that go wrong and we've got to investigate it because no one else will because starfleet once again are ignoring when i ask for help for some reason
0: except when they give a ship as they seem to have done this time (laughs) there's a couple of weird moments in this trailer when they held off on revealing what the ship was i was so sure it was going to be It's the Enterprise-E dragged out of mothballs or a galaxy-class ship because this is all about nostalgia and reflection and whatever. So that's what I thought was going to happen. Then you got this, it has to be said, ugly-looking new ship. (laughs) And the showrunner, possibly doing some damage control after the trailer came out, said that this isn't the Titan, it's the Titan A.
2: Right. So it's a
0: brand new ship, which confuses me a bit because what happened to the original Titan? Did it blow up? It hasn't been in service that long, really only since nemesis so it's about 25 years later in starship terms that ain't that old
2: yeah it seems a bit soon to go oh yeah we've got a new one. i mean maybe it's just a design thing it means that they could design their own version of the titan so they just go oh yeah we've got a titan a because we want a different ship yeah daddy's got to sell some ship models yeah <laughs> I don't know I have the feeling That some of that Is at play Very similar to Every time a superhero Makes an appearance In a film They will have A slightly different outfit In order to annoy All cosplayers Plus everyone That's now got to buy The new toy The new model I almost imagine It being that But why make it the titan i'm not too sure i'm expecting shenanigans from the way this trailer goes on i don't think it's the titan as we maybe made slight hint to at the beginning of the podcast or at the beginning of my little segment when i was beamed in that maybe it's not the titan maybe the reason that they're very excited and they're looking is a old enterprise decom or something like that i don't know
0: could be and there was another bit where seven seems to be in command of the titan a Well, the showrunner said, no, she isn't. She's the first officer. So my comment about that's a bigger meteoric rise than the Kelvin timeline Kirk. It's not. It's only almost as meteoric a rise as the
2: Kelvin timeline Kirk. It's a big step from they would never allow a Borg and Starfleet. Janeway had to threaten to resign her commission and then I just gave up anyway to now I'm first officer on the Titan after getting my field promotion yeah i'm with you it's a meteoric rise and fair play they seem committed to having jerry ryan in the show
0: yeah and michelle hard and the others not so much they can piss it yes. off apparently <laughs> those new guys get rid of them it looks like there's a good scene between picard and riker where picard recruits him or tells him he's not recruiting him and riker volunteers that looks like a nice scene it's good to see riker again
2: yeah i was trying to work out if that was Guinan's bar it looks a different Might bar be. though
0: There's another bar they like to go to, I suppose.
2: (laughs) Generic space bar, yes. Why is it not on his Pizza Ranch? Yeah, what happened to Pizza Ranch?
0: Yeah, let's go back there. We don't really see much of the other characters. There's quick flashes of them in the trailer, and we get to see the bridge of the Titan A, I assume. And it looks like another glossy, would-be-impossible-to-keep-clean-would-show-fingerprints-everywhere-type
2: bridge. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Nice shiny perspex that's going to be covered in fingerprints. No
0: sign of the villain whoever that is but they did say that it's a villain inspired by wrath of khan so great let's have that again that's a good idea i don't think you've quite tapped that to its full extent yet producers of star trek there's a drop of blood left in that
2: i don't know how many more trailer teaser things that we're expecting from this to be honest
0: But it's out in February, so I guess there'll be one more probably early next year.
2: I keep saying this with every little tease thing that they drop with Picard as I'm waiting for the one with content, and I still don't feel that I've got it.
0: (laughs) No, and this one didn't excite me in any way. But maybe it would if I'd enjoyed the other seasons. Maybe I'm just bittered by the fact that I didn't enjoy what I've been given so far and have no reason to assume that I'll enjoy this.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I just think it's a bit of a shame as a send-off for a character and a cast but maybe it will be the best thing ever.
0: We have to hope so.
2: Yes. I don't go into a thing hoping it will be bad. No. Maybe this time they've taken the advice on board and nailed it. I don't know.
0: Although this was filmed at the same time as season two, so probably not. (laughs) You'll get what you get. Let's move on. The only bit of discovery chat we got was a set tour where Wilson Cruz walked around the set and said, oh, look, here's the captain's quarters and Sonequa Martin-Green helped design them with... African art or whatever it was and that's about it the only thing to take away from it is such as that you saw Mary Wiseman on set so Tilly will be a part of the season there was an open question around whether she would be back or not or back in any significant way we know she's at least back because she was on set
2: yeah, I like that. I liked seeing her on set. That was the bit that got me excited. Like you say, it's not really hinting much at the season at all. It was very much a little set tour and see how people get on and little staged bits. So, yeah, it was interesting to see.
0: And there was a picture released that was Burnham on a bike of some sort on a desert planet. <laughs> I'm actually surprised they didn't have anything for Discovery for Star Trek Day because it seems that they're well into filming. You'd think they would have cut something together for it, but instead they did this set tour, which must have been recorded maybe days or weeks, even before the event itself.
2: I'm surprised there wasn't a small tease of some sort. The Picard stuff has been getting teased for a long time now, where they had the sort of talking head teasers up until now, and you thought they would have been able to throw something like that together, maybe. But potentially, they've not got to the meat and potatoes that they would want to put in a trailer. If they're filming it chronologically, which it looks like they are, from what they said, they were on, what, episode four at the time that they did the set tour? Yeah maybe they've not got to the trailer moments yet
0: yeah my guess is the running order will be prodigy we'll talk about next it's coming back next month or this month depending on when you're listening to this october 2022 is when it's coming back picard's in february so imagine strange new worlds will be in the summer and discovery will be towards the end of the year and then you'll get lower decks in there somewhere again
2: yeah that makes sense
0: so let's move on to prodigy we have a clip. The clip that reminds us that the show still exists because it just seems to be unceremoniously forgotten about as in they did their 10 episodes and then it stopped and they haven't really mentioned it since which is a bit weird it seems like it's the awkward stepchild of the current star trek franchise which is a shame because i actually think it's the best thing in the current star trek franchise you haven't seen the first 10 episodes so this clip may have been a bit of
2: a spoiler for you a little bit i've seen bits and pieces through Other people talking about it and friends like yourself talking about it.
0: Yeah, so you've got Janeway on the Dauntless, which is significant because the Dauntless wasn't originally a Starfleet ship. It's the one that they find at the end of Season 4 of Voyager that was a trap that was set for them to feed them to the Borg, essentially, because the guy was upset that they played a part in his species being assimilated. It's very complicated. So the Starfleet have built their own version of the Dauntless and Janeway's in command of it and chasing after the youngins on the protostar and there's a great line in there from hollow janeway where she says you've got the real me chasing you in a slipstream enabled starship good luck with that (laughs) and kate mulgrew was talking about how she had a blast playing the two janeways the two different versions because she approaches the hologram different to the way she would approach her older version of of our character
2: i think it's great that they've got kate mulgrew and i really do i want to watch it at some point i will get around to it i've just not had the time yet unfortunately other bits and pieces going on i will give it a watch because i know that you really enjoyed it i think you've said somewhere that it's the best new trek in years i believe i said that a couple of minutes ago you a couple of minutes ago there you go With a recommendation like that how can i say no the few scenes that they showed there looked quite fun
0: and to catch up it wouldn't take you that long because it's 20 minute episodes and there's only hmm. 10 of them so it's a couple hours of watching really it's amazing how animated star trek can tell really tight cohesive and full stories in less than 25 minutes when some of the live action stuff that has infinite time sometimes can't seem to grasp that all the time. <laughs> there was a Lower Decks clip, but it's of an episode that's coming up soon, so I'm not really going to talk about that. Seek that out if you want, or just wait till the episode airs. Either way, you'll see it. But we did get a first look at season two of Strange New Worlds that seems to answer the question around Ortegas and whether she'll get a story to herself. Seems like she will. And she's really excited about getting to go on an away mission for once because the pilot never gets to go on an away mission. And then Pike shows up and says, you need to stay here because we need an expert pilot to keep the Enterprise in orbit for some reason. There's radiation or something. You need to make manual adjustments every few minutes. So you're staying and we'll go have
2: all the fun on the planet. See you later. And she's all excited to go to. She's got a hat and everything. She's got a hat,
0: yeah. And Spock has to make it clear that he did not intend to ruin her day by detailing the facts of the situation
2: yeah there's asteroids orbiting the planet and weird fluctuations and odd radiation and blah blah we need the proper helmsman to be available oh that's a shame because you always get the feeling that when it's orbiting the planet the people at helm aren't really doing much i keep thinking maybe there's a lot of autopilot at play when it comes to people being on helm of a starship but i don't know maybe i'm doing them a disservice
0: well you'd have to imagine so if you're just on the helm of the Enterprise or whatever, the captain says, set a course for here, warp, whatever. You find the destination in the directory, you select it, and then you select a warp factor and then press go. Mm -hmm. I assume. That's how it always (laughs) plays out in video games. (laughs) Although in the original series, they sometimes had a dedicated navigator. The seat next to Sulu would have been the navigation station. So I don't know if it was a bit more involved than I said it was, but definitely in things like next generation and voyager there was only one helm at the front of the ship and they seemed to do everything so i guess they managed to automate navigation in some way you'd think so but if you're in standard orbit if you think about it no one's keeping the international space station in orbit it's just flying around on its own isn't it
2: they've got thrusters every once in a while they've got to do manual adjustments for the iss but yeah the majority of it's almost like centrifugal force isn't it is it? getting thrown round, and the speed at which it gets thrown round keeps it Up. Yeah.
0: So if the Enterprise is only in orbit of the planet for a couple hours or even a few days, chances are you won't need to do anything to adjust the orbit manually.
2: Yeah, that's true. The main thing is Ortegas is getting a story. I enjoyed Ortegas in the last season, but it was kind of the characters dropping in a quip every once in a while, and you're like, oh, give them something better to do, please. It's nice getting quips and bits in. And I think we talked about it on the, the podcast at the end of the last season. It'd be nice to get a little bit more.
0: Her story might be that she's like the Jimmy Olsen of Starfleet, as in, if Clark and Lois keep getting the best assignments, I'll never be a good reporter.
2: Yeah, like, maybe I want something more, or maybe I want development.
0: It's funny where Pike says, oh, I'll be piloting the shuttle mission, so I could feasibly sit on the bridge and do this. But, (laughs) no, you're doing it. Rank has its privileges, I guess. Or maybe it's Pike's needed for some diplomatic thing, we have no idea why they're going down to that planet's surface.
2: That's true. Maybe Pike's essential for reasons. Who knows?
0: But it was a fun clip, and Spock apologising and saying, I didn't mean to burst your bubble there. Maybe that's the origin of the bigotry that we see in the finale. Canceled me
2: off my away mission.
0: Maybe he keeps doing that. He's just a buzzkill. Spock the buzzkill. I was surprised we got a clip rather than a trailer, but that was an interesting choice.
2: I'm trying to think what big event coming up that they could deploy their trailer or if it's just going to unceremoniously drop somewhere.
0: Yeah, they'll probably just release a trailer at some point. I don't think there's any other massive Star Trek events between now and whenever it might release. But my guess would be it will be next summer sometime that they'll release this because Picard will run from February until... 10 weeks from February, which will take us up
2: to April or so.
0: Maybe Section 31 will be on between some of these shows no mention of that or any other new shows at this star trek day
2: that's what i was about to ask did they announce any of these other fabled star trek shows that have been foretold bit
0: of a disappointing star trek day really it's almost like we don't really have anything to show so we'll give you this stuff and then we'll just fill the time with random nonsense otherwise
2: it's interesting because the thing is why decide that you're going to do a full all guns blazing event If you don't have that much to put in it, it seems like a weird decision to make. It's nice that the fans get a time to celebrate, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just this is an annual thing now. We're going to keep doing it no matter what.
2: Yeah, we need to keep it in the calendar. Otherwise, it'll look like we've not done anything.
0: Yeah, there was a funny thing. One of the people in the audience got randomly selected to get put into Romulan makeup. So they got taken off stage and taken through the back to made up as a Romulan and I was thinking that sounds great but then if you're there and you've got a seat near the front I'm going to miss half the show <laughs> and they're getting makeup done. I can hear them playing the Picard season 3 trailer behind me but I can't see it <laughs> but that was really it. There wasn't much else that I can think of. Not even any of the chat as such. Tony Newsom, she was one of the people hosting the event throughout the presentation and I still find it a bit weird to hear Mariner's voice coming out of a real person
2: it was when she was in space force watched a bit of that on netflix and it took me a while to click where i recognized the voice from (laughs) (laughs) and then she started complaining about something you were like that's it ah there we go that's it got it now well that's it
0: that's the four major things based on star trek day so what i can do is i can beam you back to where you came from if you'd like to go back where you came from can send you anywhere in the world no just send me back I will do. Thank you for joining, by the way. You're welcome. Energising. So that was Chris. He was here and talked about Star Trek because we were both at Star Trek. We weren't. We even say on the thing where we were just watching it. We're frauds. I'm a fraud. I never leave the house, actually.
1: I I find that if I actually didn't have to leave the flat, I probably wouldn't.
0: What does that say about us? let doesn't go into it.
1: Yes, I don't think a large amount of introspection is going to help matters right now.
0: No. Let's move on to some of the pillars of Neil Before Blog slash Pod. We'll start with Marvel, like we usually do. We already talked about Marvel earlier when we did the D23 stuff, but they just can't shut up. So they gave us more stuff to talk about that didn't come up at D23. First of which is the Avengers... Kang Dynasty movie has a writer and it's Jeff Loveness who is writing Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So that suggests that Marvel like what he did on that film and are happy for him to continue and do a big Avengers movie. It also suggests that he maybe knows Kang better than most, which makes sense.
1: Isn't Kang going to be properly introduced in Quantumania?
0: That's right, yeah. If you discount that episode of Loki...
1: I thought the way we were going it was that he who remains in Loki wasn't actually Kang, but Kang was a variant of him.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what way round it is. I remember when I reviewed it, I just called him Kang because I couldn't be bothered <laughs> dancing around it because that's who he is. Whether he's the original Kang or this is the original Kang we're about to meet or if there's no original Kang or if we can never trace the original Kang, who knows? but he's going to be a big bad for it. And I do quite like the idea of just various Kangs turning up in different films and being defeated, and then yeah. we get the original one later on.
1: I do recall him in-, in Loki mentioning about his-, his variants, and one of them being a conqueror, which seemed to be quite a pointed comment to character's typical designation of Kang the Conqueror.
0: Yeah, and then there's all sorts of weird stuff like the Pharaoh and Immortus and all this. And also Iron Lad. <laughs> yeah. Really deep diving into it. Just to sum it up, comics are weird. Yes. Kang has had many names and many faces over different things and different characters have been retconned to, oh, this was Kang actually over the years because pretty sure the future Pharaoh wasn't originally supposed to be Kang, but then turned out to be later on, when they decided, oh, we might as well mesh this all together, why not?
1: Yeah, certainly the kind of thing that happens. Just, for example, pretty sure that Rob Liefeld didn't originally intend for Cable to be the son of Scott Summers, first in the future to save him from a techno-organic virus.
0: Nah, probably not.
1: But he was retconned that he was.
0: Comments are weird. But yes. Jeff Lovener's cut his teeth on writing Rick and Morty as well, so it stands to reason that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania will be really dense and quirky.
1: Yes, one thing that Rick and Morty is known for is just how utterly demented it is with various dimensions and
0: alien worlds and whatnot. It will be reined in slightly because it is still the MCU.
1: Oh yeah, undoubtedly.
0: I keep saying this, that there are things that you would maybe like them to do that they definitely will never do. And I don't mean that necessarily as a criticism, it's just one of those things where they've set up a particular brand where they're only going to go so far. So I think that Jeff Loveness won't be allowed to go full Rick and Morty in his Ant-Man movie, for example.
1: because yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure there won't be any jokes about anal sex or accidental incest
0: or anything like that. And if there are, they'll be very, very subtle. Indeed. So this makes sense. If he knows Kang and can write that sort of weird timey-wimey stuff to reference Doctor Who, then more power to him. It's quite interesting, the actual talent that they're pulling on for these Avengers movies coming up. We know nothing about the second one that will be out, but we know, obviously, who the director is and who the writer is of the first one. Death and Daniel Cretton, yeah, Shang-Chi was really good, but I wouldn't have necessarily assumed that he would have got that job. And then this writer who wrote an Ant-Man movie, again, I wouldn't have assumed he would have got that job, based on who they've selected before for these things. So, yeah, interesting choices. If, if think else, it is encouraging that,
1: that Marvel are continuing to hire people who seem like they might actually produce something a little bit different. Because one of the most frequent criticisms of the MCU by people who don't watch that much of it is the fact that it's all the same.
0: Which is a criticism I have no time for.
1: Yeah, which is all big nonsense in itself. But intentionally hiring people who can dream up things that pointedly are different from things that they've done previously, I will always find to be encouraging developments.
0: Yeah. Next up there are some concerns about Blade. It has lost its director who apparently stepped down because they couldn't commit to the scheduling because schedules are always in flux and it was just not feasible anymore. So he is going to be leaving as director but staying on as executive producer but I've never understood what actual work an executive producer does which may be an insult to executive producers everywhere if anyone knows what they actually do let me know because I don't know because you do hear a lot about say Steven Spielberg will put his name on a film and it will attract money just because his name is on a film. But he doesn't actually do anything.
1: Exactly. I think there's quite a wide scope in, in what the role actually refers to. It, it could be, as I say, just slapping a name on the poster that will draw eyeballs to it. Or being in charge of the studio backing the production and having ultimate veto power in absolutely any decision that gets made regarding it. So that's what Kevin Feige does. Exactly.
0: I don't think Bassem Tariq... Has that level of power?
1: I imagine that he's being given that credit just to acknowledge the production work that he'd already done on it in the two months he's actually been on board, and so to just not completely disregard what he did while he was there.
0: Someone was mentioning to me that it feels like there's a lot of shakeups happening in films more so than ever, and. I think the reason for that is there's more content being produced than ever. So what you'll probably have is people that are spinning various plates at any given time. And if anything falls out of the schedule, they have to drop it because it's going to impact everything else they have on their schedule. So it's not necessarily a malicious creative differences type falling out that you sometimes hear about such as when Justin Lin left Fast and the Furious because he doesn't like Vin Diesel reportedly Mm -hmm. I mean who does that works with him anyway lots of people just seem to end up hating the guy because of his ego on set and things but in this case I don't know if there's any level of malice involved in the fact that he left it just seems that they've announced that there's some kind of scheduling conflict which fair enough I suppose however there is a report and this is all pinch of salt reporting we don't know how accurate it is but it might be suffering problems. Indeed. Journalist Jeff Snyder claimed on Twitter that he'd been told by someone familiar with the project that the current script for Blade is roughly 90 pages long, unusually short for a film of this scale. He also claimed that the script features just two lacklustre action sequences. Mahershala Ali is said to be frustrated with the process, with Kevin Feige said to be spread too thin. He did back that up by saying... That's just what sources are telling him, so don't quote me on it almost, even though the entire internet is quoting him on it at this point because he said it. If you don't want to be quoted on it, just don't say it. You're clearly wanting attention by stating this, but that does concern me somewhat. 90 pages, it's always said that a minute of screen time is about a page of a script, more or less. I imagine that changes when you're doing elaborate action and stuff like that. Maybe your scripts are shorter when all you put in is and then an action sequence happens. I don't know, it depends how intricately you script your action sequences.
1: Exactly, because you could have something on the scale of how the action sequences are written in Quentin Tarantino scripts, where it's practically breaking down every single shot that's going to take place, all the way you have something like a stage direction in a Shakespeare play that simply says, they fight.
0: And in Marvel scripts, I imagine a lot of it is action happens, because a lot of the time they're handled by second unit or whatever, they're handled not by the director of the film. Entirely. Sometimes these things are storyboarded way before the film goes into production and before they even hire a director in some cases, which is a dubious way to do it. The director, Basam Tariq, he's done what, a couple of Muslim dramas over. Ten years or something like that, and suddenly they've decided this guy is who needs to do a Blade film. It seems there's a step missing there in his journey to making Blade.
1: I think that's the kind of thing that, for better or worse, we can call it the Colin Trevorrow effect. So, go for a couple of Indies to Boom Jurassic
0: World. Yeah, or Josh Crank. I suppose at least he had some experience with visual effects.
1: That is true, certainly. Honestly, the less said about force Dick, the better.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that Marvel and other studios are snapping up indie directors to make tempo blockbuster films, because in ideal conditions, they can learn about how to do these sequences by being around the people that know how to put them together. But I don't think that's necessarily what happens. I think it's, you do the talky bits, we'll handle the rest. Yeah, that is certainly a possibility of how uh, I get done.
1: I'm not sure if Marvel has a set number of teams who deal with stunts and actions uh, across the various films, but just hiring people to fully oversee a franchise tentpole after one or two critically acclaimed indie movies, it's an odd trend and not entirely clear what the purpose of it is, especially when you have so many experienced directors who have done a hell of a lot more and are at far more advanced stages of their careers but they don't ever seem to get a look in.
0: There's differing ways to look at it. One is these up-and-coming filmmakers are getting a chance to have their work seen by a lot of people who consume these Marvel films and blockbusters in general. In theory it sounds like a good idea that we're giving the little guy a shot but the cynical counter-argument is that they're easy to control because they don't have any clout.
1: Exactly. It's a little difficult to know where that balance actually is. I'd imagine that there are going to be multiple thousands of people who wouldn't have bothered to watch Nomadland, Oscar or no Oscar, if Chloe Zhao hadn't then gone to direct Eternals.
0: But she was someone that brought her clout with her because she got to convince them to let them film on location and things like that. Meaning
1: more just in terms of the prominence of a Marvel movie, retrospectively adding visibility to a director's previous work.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people would have watched Nomadland because they heard that she was doing a Marvel movie. Or after they knew that it was her that was doing a Marvel movie. Eternal's got lukewarm reception, so maybe it would have done more harm than good in that respect. But there will certainly be... People that might go and look out their other work once they hear they've been appointed. And I imagine the balance shifts from director to director as well, because John Watts, who did the Spider-Man movies, he did three of them. So obviously they managed to strike up some kind of partnership that worked Yeah, for all parties. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done three of them. Either he would have walked after the first one or Marvel would have not let him come back if they hadn't settled into some kind of equilibrium. But I always think of that story where Lucretia Martel turned down Black Widow after she was told not to worry about the action sequences. (laughs) And her point was, well, that's why I want to do the film, because I want to do the action sequences.
1: Exactly. And there's almost a patronising attitude to take to ensure a director to not worry about an integral aspect of the film. as Strongly suggesting it's something that they will have absolutely no control over.
0: Do you want to make this action film? You don't have to do the action. Why am I making an action film then?
1: And with that example specifically, it's almost like a suggestion of, okay, so this film's about women. You can do things between women. You do all the actual person stuff, and we'll deal with the fighting stuff.
0: We're already filming The Flying Fortress falling out of the sky. Don't even worry about it.
1: I think it speaks to how it's almost like a factory production a franchise like this can become, where everything churns on at a specific pace and, and bring out things in a way that's already been predetermined, regardless of what anyone involved would actually want to contribute to it.
0: It certainly doesn't help with that reputation, yeah. I think it's more complicated than that, though, and I do think the involvement or level of control varies from director to director.
1: Undoubtedly, yes. Just at the same time, you just can't help cynically pondering just what level of control the studio, and specifically Kevin Feige, insists on having in each of them.
0: Yeah. In the case of Blade, though, there's 90-page script with two lacklustre action sequences. I'm wondering what that actually means, what those actual sequences are, because I wouldn't associate Blade with being in some kind of high-scale sequence, really. Even if you look at the Wesley Snipes films, as ridiculous as they got, particularly by the third one, the action sequences weren't ever that big because he's a guy with a sword and guns. There's only so big he can be, really. I don't foresee him knocking a flying fortress out of the sky, for example.
1: I took lacklustre to refer to the quality of the action sequences rather than their scale or intensity.
0: could be like something in Snake Eyes. They were pretty grim.
1: It's also worth pointing out for anyone unaware that it's generally accepted in Hollywood that a standard script length for a feature film is 120 pages. So having something that's basically 75% of that really doesn't speak well of how much there actually is to the film.
0: The thing is, how long ago was Blade announced that it was... Before any of the Disney Plus shows came on, I think it was announced around about the same time they announced things like WandaVision and What If and so forth. So you've had a while to formulate something. It's not just formulating something in the first place,
1: it's having something formulated and then not constantly changing it, which I think is part of the problem in things like this.
0: Yeah, if the report is true, it was supposed to start filming very, very soon, so they've lost their director... They've probably already got another one they haven't announced yet. I fully predict that we'll be announcing who the director is in the... Yes, announcing for the first time. We'll be reporting who the director is in next month's news podcast because they probably already have that locked in. They just haven't told us about it yet for whatever reason. So this new director will be going straight into production with this supposedly problematic script that they've had years to write and somehow only managed to get 90 pages and two lacklustre action sequences despite having decades of comics to draw from. (laughs)
1: All in all, it doesn't really inspire a great deal of confidence in the production.
0: No. And you'd have to think that Mahershala Ali wouldn't sign on if he had some idea of what was actually going on. Because he has that kind of clout. You have to imagine it wasn't just, do you want to play Blade? Yeah, here's a contract. We'll figure something out later.
1: I certainly hope that negotiations were somewhat more complicated than that. But maybe they weren't.
0: We all know about The Phantom Menace when everybody thought, oh, I'm going to be Star Wars. And they signed on without reading anything. So it mm-hmm. could be that, maybe. But he's already worked for Marvel, sort of, when he was in Luke Cage.
1: That's true, yeah.
0: But then that's
1: a tendril of the franchise that has now been officially decanonized.
0: Yeah, but he didn't know that at the time. No. And he did Spider-Verse as well, which is kind of Marvel, but not quite. Probably
1: Marvel adjacent.
0: Yeah. But we'll see. The thing about that report is it's to be taken with a massive pinch of salt, but usually there's no smoke without fire on these things. Usually reports like that don't come out without there being at least some truth associated with it.
1: Exactly. It's certainly one thing to attribute stories to anonymous and unverifiable sources. But when it's someone just making a statement of something that they've heard, rather than, say, writing an unsubstantiated article for a clickbait entertainment website, it's something else entirely. We'll find out.
0: Watch this space. Hopefully they won't screw lead up.
1: It would be nice to think so because it was the release of Blade in 1998 that effectively began paving the way for the MCU.
0: Yeah, definitely. Still, in the Marvel sphere, we have some confirmed casting for Wonder Man, but it's not the casting of Wonder Man, although the rumour is that Henry Cavill might be up for the role, as in DC aren't interested in making him Superman again, so we'll just make him Power Superman, which I think would be a funny twist. Although I don't think that's what will happen. But the returning character is going to be Ben Kingsley's Trevor Slattery. Yay, we get to see more of him. Amazing, he says sarcastically. The problem with Trevor Slattery as a character, for me, it's not an existing scar from the twist of Iron Man 3, which I do still think is a dumb twist. But that's long ago now. It's not something I really bother about. It's just the fact that in Shang-Chi he was really overused. The joke had worn off and he was still in the film for me. That's what I'm worried will happen here. He'll be in half the series and it'll be, oh my God, every time this guy turns up, my skin crawls because of just how unfunny he is.
1: He has certainly been given more prominence than the character actually deserves, because basically his whole purpose was to just be a midway plot twist, which I hated the first time I saw Iron Man 3. Though, to be honest, I came around to it more a little bit the second time, but certainly not to the extent that I think the character deserves the prominence that he's been given. It's entirely possible that he's actually just going to be a very brief presence in the series, with the link of Trevor being a washed-up actor, and, and also the fact that Wonder Man can't remember his actual civilian name
0: simon williams
1: that's it yeah he himself was an actor as well before becoming a superhero or rather a manufactured kind of like mole supervillain who then became real hero again comics were weird (laughs) it's possible that the the travel is just going to be a minor aspect just thrown into it to provide a link to the existing mcu material and is it not going to be like a major supporting character or anything like that. Possibly he was the first one announced for this, just because Ben Kingsley presumably already has some kind of agreement in place with Marvel, so it was easy enough to get him back on board.
0: Yeah, maybe. And it does seem to shore up the belief that this will be some kind of Hollywood satire.
1: Yeah, which I certainly wouldn't hate, because, again, it's them trying something a little bit different. And just seeing whether or not it works.
0: Yeah, as we discussed with She Hulk, hopefully they can actually take it to its logical conclusion rather than just half-assing it. Would be nice. Hollywood is superficial and strange. Yes, and <laughs> this is not a revelation. You've just told me something I already know. Now tell me something about it. <laughs> Explore it in some way.
1: Show me what you're going to do with this observation within the context of this series that you're establishing.
0: Be interesting to see what. Role Slattery plays in it though, because he's in the mystical place, I forget the name of it, in Shang-Chi when we last saw him, and he probably can't go anywhere near developed society because he'll be arrested.
1: That's true, because he is basically a
0: a fugitive from prison. Yeah, we will definitely find out. Let's hop the fence and go to DC. There's some news from there, despite the fact that they're not doing very much at the moment. The first one is they have cast Lex Luthor in the Titans TV show, and it's going to be Titus Welliver, who is probably pretty good casting, to be honest. I haven't seen him in many things, although I do remember him from a couple of episodes of Star Trek Voyager, where he played the evil first officer of the Equinox, and he was in some of Agents of Shield as well.
1: Yeah, and I also seem to recall he was in Lost for a bit as well.
0: No, uh, who wasn't?
1: That's true. I've never seen that Bosch series that he was in. No me neither. If not. that's even how you're supposed to pronounce it, because police procedurals don't generally interest me unless there's some kind of fun spin on them. Like, say, with Castle and Nathan Fillion giving his best Nathan Fillion.
0: Yeah, I mean, if anyone's going to do a good Nathan Fillion, it'll be Nathan Fillion. He certainly
1: has the presence of somebody who can portray Lex Luthor's megalomaniacal arrogance. Quite an integral aspect of the character.
0: Yeah, there's a picture of him in this article. He has a beard, which seems to be quite a common modern thing for Lex Luthor. Bald hair and a beard. Certainly with the Supergirl iteration That was how they did it.
1: I think it's a combination of two facial aspects generally coded as evil, being bald and being
0: bearded. (laughs) And there is a quote about his portrayal. He has a very sensitive, thoughtful approach to evil in power, You know what he's done, what he's capable of doing, except like many of those people, he's personable. He doesn't have a cat on his lap. Yeah, he's curious, which I think is very interesting about his character. He wants to know about people and what makes them tick and how they're different from him. He sees the world through the lens of both his own power and his own inadequacy and tries to compensate for both. They've just described Lex Luthor, essentially.
1: Pretty much some of the rich, successful sociopathic and with a massive inferiority complex regarding...
0: Anybody with superpowers. Yeah, I still haven't seen any of Titans. Are you still watching it? I know you used to review it and you were giving it pretty low scores in its first season.
1: I'm still watching it. I gave up the reviews after the first season because it was just that bad. I could not be bothered writing about it anymore.
0: Yeah, why do that to yourself?
1: Though, to be fair, it did improve slightly. It can seem like the first season was just Kind an of experiment more than anything else. Uh, in, the, in the second season it was actually kind of retconned that the Titans seen in the first season wasn't actually the, the first Titans team that there were other ones previously. But they ended up disbanding after Deathstroke blamed them for the death of his son Jericho. Basically saying okay if you ever reform I will come back and I will destroy you. And the third season was okay but it was a bit muddled. Too many different ideas all kind of thrown together that didn't really mesh well. But to be honest after just how utterly mediocre the first season was. And I just really didn't expect anything more from it, so it's something I just carried on watching just for the sake of it, rather than out of any real great desire to find out what was going to happen.
0: Well, you'll be a cast opinion on this version of Lex Luthor after your quite passionate opinions about the Supergirl version of Lex Luthor. Indeed, yes. And then I wonder if we'll get an additional Lex Luthor in Superman and Lois, which is now confirmed to be no longer part of the Arrowverse, which means they could recast Lex Luthor if they want. Yeah,
1: might do if, if it doesn't just end up being one of the final casualties of the whole Arrowverse just being quietly taken around the back of the sheds and putting a
0: bullet through his brain. Yeah, very possibly. Well, they already played with the idea of Lex Luthor being unconventional in Superman and Lois because when they thought that John Henry Irons was a Luthor initially, they were really confused. No one ever said it, but they were really confused because he was black. Hmm. So I guess by that logic, they would have to cast him as white in Superman and Lois. Although, considering they were pretending they were in the Arrowverse for a bit and then told you that they weren't, then I suppose none of that matters, does it? Honestly, I think they've now just abandoned
1: any pretense of continuity and now just going along with whatever they want until the final cancellation.
0: Pretty much. Next two bits is two bits of casting for Joker Foliadu, which is a film that I can't be bothered with already, but Brendan Gleeson is one of the actors that has been announced cast in the film. Warner Brothers had no comment on that casting. The second guy is called Jacob Laughland and they have commented on who he has been cast as, an inmate at the asylum who develops a relationship with Arthur Fleck, aka the Joker. So that's great.
1: Which tells us literally nothing. Yeah, pretty
0: much. But this actor made his debut opposite Matthew McConaughey and Ty Sheridan in the 2013 indie hit Mud and he was in some of them wager on movies, possibly. Well, he definitely was, but I don't know which ones. And he played the younger Pierce Brosnan in the Western series The Sun, which ran for two seasons on AMC. Another thing that's been said about this film is that it will be from Harley Quinn's perspective. So that's why it's a musical, I guess.
1: Basically anything about this film, my general reaction is I don't care. I did not like Joker at all. It was just interesting in that it was pretending to be a comic book movie, but not actually being one. Instead, just being like a comic book movie if it had been directed by Martin Scorsese in the late 70s. Okay, aesthetically, they achieved that, but it's just that everything about it was so removed from anything related to Batman or The Joker or DC in general that trying to make that connection in the first place was just meaningless. That in itself really started my opinion of it. I also thought it really didn't have much to say about anything. Okay, so greedy capitalism, bad. People with mental illness need help. Mentally disturbed people can only be pushed so far until they snap. These are all very basic concepts that the film really makes no effort to expand upon in any way. But because the film was so financially successful, because so many people did like it for their own reasons, I expect that this sequel is going to be more of the same. Which means. I will likely dislike it just as much. Yeah, So it just just isn't something that I have any interest in or excitement for.
0: Unless it's a good musical, in which case that might have some validity to it. Hopefully. Okay, let's move on. Our last piece of DC news. After last month suggesting that Dan Lin would be leading the DC Comics Film and TV Unit... Turns out he isn't. The reasons are very complex and legal. His company had a deal at Universal, and Warner Brothers would have had to either fold this company, go right back into the studio, or work something else out. And that's where the discussions fell apart. They couldn't find a way to make it work. So basically, no offer was made, and they're looking for someone else.
1: That's certainly a far more technical reason than my initial assumption, in that Danlin probably decided that he doesn't want to be part of a division that David Zaslav is pretty much
0: intent on destroying. Yeah. Do you want this job where you will just be casually insulted on the internet by the worst people out there and where nothing you make will ever be good enough because they still want the Snyderverse? Right now, that kind of position
1: is the epitome of a poison chalice. <laughs> is anyone being in charge of a movie output of DC is going to receive relentless and vitriolic abuse from all corners of the internet, and what few achievements you actually do make will end up being heavily overshadowed by everyone pointing out everything that you're doing wrong.
0: I mean, I'll do it, because I never check Twitter, so i I'm <laughs> Abuse me all you want, because I won't be listening. So DC, if you're listening, give us a shout. We'll work something out. I don't have a production company that needs to be folded in or not. Let's move on. Let's hop the fence again to the CW, which is kind of DC, but not quite. For the final season of The Flash, we have another villain that has been recast. We're going to be getting the post-crisis Captain Boomerang, Richard Harmon. So the CW recycling another actor who used to be in The 100 for... The Flash. He's been tapped to recur as Owen Mercer, a.k.a. Captain Boomerang. The new post-crisis Captain Boomerang has recently been released from Iron Heights with a chip in his shoulder, but the twinkle in his eye disguises a dangerous and violent threat to National City. Whether he'll be a second Captain Boomerang that erases the original one, or whether this will just be a successor of some sort, we don't know. It suggests that the altered timeline version of The Flash that doesn't remember anything about its past pre-crisis has encountered him before if he's been in prison. So we'll find out.
1: Well, that certainly would suggest that, yeah.
0: I can't remember specifically, but I think the, the original
1: Captain Boomerang that we had was the Digger Harkness version of the character, was. Rather than Owen Mercer. And in the comics, Owen Mercer was his son. So they might maintain that connection. But to be honest, everything about The Flash is thought through with so little effort. I would actually be surprised if someone has given it even that level of consideration.
0: Yeah, there'll probably be a quick, you put me in there, Flash, and he'll be like, I don't remember, and then that'll be it.
1: Um, that's all you're getting, because that's all the continuity we can be arsed
0: portraying. It's the final season. We don't have to care anymore. Not that we cared before. <laughs> that'll be the dialogue as well. That's how much they've stopped caring.
1: It would not surprise me.
0: Well, that's it for the CW. There's not much else to say. Let's jump over the fence again. Another fence to Star Wars. We have a few things here. We have our live-action Ezra Bridger a guy called Iman Esfandi. His film credits include Robert Rodriguez horror pick Red 11. He was also in King Richard. He will be in the upcoming gay military drama, The Inspection, which will be at Toronto Film Festival. I haven't seen any of the films that he's in, so I don't know anything about him. But looking at him next to the picture of Ezra, he looks like he could be a grown-up version of the drawing.
1: I certainly think that was what they were going for in the image selection, certainly.
0: I think the most frequent
1: comments about this casting will just be statements of disappointment that uh, isn't Raoul Coley who's being cast as Ezra Bridger. Because there was this periodic thing where people were pushing for him to play the character, which Ralph Coley was constantly playing up to, probably because he thought it was funny.
0: Okay. I don't think that would have been good casting for Ezra.
1: There's nothing else, of the height difference to take into account.
0: Yeah. guess we'll see. As we've both discussed, neither of us are hot on Rosario Dawson playing Ahsoka. We don't know what... Natasha Loop or Diesel will be like a Sabine. I assume we'll get casting for Hera pretty soon. I assume so. If that isn't who Mary Elizabeth Winstead is playing, which it could be.
1: Possibly. But to be honest, just because the notion of Ahsoka not being played by Ashley Eckstein, it just sours any enthusiasm that I have for anything to do with the live-action interpretation of the character.
0: Yeah, obviously we'll see how that pans out, but the Ahsoka show is essentially Rebels 2.0, isn't it? They go and find Ezra and do stuff.
1: That seems to be where it's going, yeah.
0: So we'll see if we get casting off Thrawn as well, and it may as well just be the guy who voiced him. Certainly did a decent enough job. Well, that means it probably won't be. It seems like <laughs> they want to do these offshoot live-action things.
1: Unless you're Kate off
0: Yeah, that's true. Is there not another one who voiced and played them in live-action? I'm sure there was others that made the jump. Forrest... Whitaker, of course.
1: Oh yeah, of course I.
0: Although he wasn't the original Sogarer era, because the original was in an episode of Clone Wars.
1: Just make things even more confusing.
0: He was in Clone Wars, and then he was in Rogue One, and then he appeared in Rebels and the Fallen Order video game, and he's got to be appearing in Andor at some point as well. Let's move on. We have more casting for the Acolyte, which is another Star Wars series that I'm interested in because it might have nothing to do with the main Skywalker saga side of it unless they force it in, which I'm worried they will be. Jodie Turner-Smith, who was in Queen and Slim and Anne Boleyn, is finalising a deal to join Amanda Stenberg in The Acolyte. Does not say who she is playing, of course. Not that it would matter if it did.
1: Yeah, because even if you're given the character a name, it likely wouldn't mean anything to you.
0: They have also cast Manny Jacinto, who was in The Good Place. That'll be interesting. Indeed, yes. I actually can't imagine him. Is anyone but Jason in the good place? This is going to be really jarring for me.
1: It is, bit yeah. I did see him recently because he had... Supporting role in this horror series called Brand New Cherry Flavour, which is a series revolving around a director played by Rosa Salazar, whose short film was an option to be expanded into feature, but then she gets shattered on the deal and shut out of production. So she attempts to get revenge on the director by having this backwards witch cast a curse on him. It's weird as all hell, and Manny Jacinto was basically her best friend and was something considerably different from jason although i've got that buffer at least
0: so he's not a lovable idiot in that show no you've got that buffer i don't so we'll see if i can break the immersion that i have he might be under heavy alien makeup so that might help quite possibly but we don't know it hasn't said who he'll be playing but he's just gonna be in it so there we go there we go indeed that is as for star wars we've covered everything they've announced for that so good stuff let's move on to more miscellaneous stuff let's start with Although, I could have put this under DC. I don't know why I didn't. I was just wondering that, actually. Bad at my job, that's why. But anyway, we are getting a sequel to Constantine, and we're not talking about Matt Ryan here. We're talking about Keanu Reeves. He's coming back to the role, and it's going to be Francis Lawrence, who directed the first one back to do the second one. This is something that's been talking about doing for such a long time now, isn't it? Ever since this Keanu-sons that started with John Wick, really. Pretty much, yeah. It's just been, oh, let's get him doing Constantine again. Then he is. So... Great? No, I didn't like the original Constantine film with him in it and Shia LaBeouf as Chaz as well.
1: And Tilda Swinton as uh, Angel Gabriel.
0: Yeah, that's right. Peter
1: Stolmer as the devil.
0: Would that technically be the Tom Ellis Lucifer then?
1: Yes, actually.
0: Kind of, yeah.
1: In terms of characters within that universe, certainly. I have mixed feelings about the 2005 Constantine movie. The film in of itself I actually quite enjoyed just with a lot of supernatural horror urban fantasy and black magic and whatnot though the thing was as an adaptation of the Hellblazer comics it's basically meaningless but at the same time that in itself doesn't necessarily make it a bad film.
0: No definitely not I remember there was a lot of pushback on it Constantine's supposed to be blonde and not American.
1: Yeah but also a far less superficial sense. The whole setup of this cold war between heaven and hell and constantly trying to save himself from damnation, that's really not like the comics at all. The series with Matt Ryan was far closer variation on what the comics were actually like. The thing that actually surprised me most about this was just how positive a reaction seems to have been to the announcement. Because I I was just always of the belief that the film was generally seen quite negatively by most people. So the fact that so many people are excited about the prospect of another one, to me, was quite surprising.
0: I think there's been a bit of retro opinion changing in terms of people's reaction to that film, because Keanu Reeves is a hot property at the moment.
1: That is entirely possible, yes.
0: The TV series that was criticised by some people for being very close to Supernatural, the TV show which took a lot of its rules and... Stuff from the Help, Laser Comics. Indeed, yes. When the thing you're adapting is overtaken by something that's adapted from it.
1: It's like when John Carter was released and everyone was whining that it was too similar to Star Wars. It's all that stuff.
0: You get that all over the place. This book
1: was published
0: literally a century ago. <laughs> this film is stepping on a series that was being developed for HBO Max by J.J. Abrams. So thank God for that. Amen. So that's dead, and this is going to be instead. Although four scripts were written for that show, which was going to be about John Constantine fighting demons in contemporary London. And a version of the character, of course, recently appeared sort of in The Sandman, which you reviewed for the website.
1: I did, yes. Which I thought was
0: actually quite a faithful adaptation of the character as well. Yeah, well, there you go. That's that. That's happening. Great. We'll see what it's like. I'm not excited. I'm... Tentatively optimistic. That's better than me. We've got a video game adaptation news here. Gran Turismo. And I've said before on previous news podcasts, I can't believe this is going to be a thing. (laughs) Because why don't you just make a racing movie? But we've got some casting for it anyway. Darren Barnett, who's joining David Harbour and Orlando Bloom in this. And it doesn't really say anything about it. But it's going to be directed by Neil Blomkamp. So that's a surprise. Which is a choice. Certainly. But what is going to be about this that makes it Gran Turismo rather than just a racing film?
1: From what I read, the plot was going to be about this teenager.
0: Oh yes, I had to scroll down and there it is.
1: <laughs> Tell me exactly what this is. This teenager played by Archie Mediqui, I think it's pronounced, who makes a jump from like being a successful esports person to being an actual racing driver. And Darren Barnett is a already established racer who resents this usurper entering his domain. Which is apparently based on a true story, which... I am sceptical about.
0: <laughs> the project is described as the ultimate wish-fulfillment tale of a teenage Gran Turismo player whose gaming skills won him a series of Nissan competitions to become an actual professional race car driver. David Harbour is the retired driver who teaches them to drive. Orlando Bloom is a hungry marketing exec. I concede it is actually connected to the game in some way and therefore deserves to have the title rather than it just being a racing film. Although it does sound like once it establishes all that... It'll just go down there. It's the Karate Kid, but with racing. (laughs) Okay, it's a proven formula, I suppose.
1: A proven formula, yes, but whether or not they will actually do anything interesting with it is another matter entirely.
0: My cynical prediction
1: on the matter is that it will end up going the way of many computer games adapted into films and just be met with overwhelming indifference and vanish into obscurity.
0: Yeah. Since I made that connection already, let us just announced that Sony Pictures is going to be doing a new Karate Kid film, which is a return of the original Karate Kid franchise. It doesn't say whether it'll be connected to Cobra Kai or not, and it doesn't say what the film will actually be. I wonder how they can do that, because, well, he ain't a kid anymore for a start. Mm-hmm. So what will this be? But it doesn't surprise me that they're going to do this, the fact that everybody is going through the drawers to figure out what stuff they've got that they can throw back out into the ring.
1: My main issue is that I don't think there's really any need for another Karate Kid movie because we already had one remake of it that most people have already forgotten about quite rightly too
0: Ah yes, the Kung Fu Kid
1: Indeed, yes, the Kung Fu Kid which in itself is just ridiculous but I think it's just likely to do with the popularity of Cobra Kai keeping the property in people's minds so they've now decided to just milk it for what it's worth
0: Is Mr Miyagi still alive? He is not That's a challenge So I guess the logical thing is that Billy is the character's name? From the original? Daniel, wouldn't it? Daniel, yeah okay, that shows how deep my connection to the Karate Kid film is. I guess he'll be the Mr Miyagi?
1: Quite possibly, yeah, because I think the Ralph Macchio is in his 40s now. He'll be like a kind of age for a former champion starting to age and pass his skills on to a new generation
0: He can teach another kid how to wax cars and take out his rubbish and whatever other nonsense Mr Miyagi got him doing. Picking the fence and doing the brain. Yeah, all that stuff. So not excited about that. Fair enough. Let's move on there's going to be a tv series of the david cronenberg film scanners at hbo the series is set in the mind-bending world of david cronenberg's seminal film pursued by relentless agents with unimaginable powers two women living on the fringes of modern society must learn to work together to topple a vast conspiracy determined to bring them to heel william bridges will serve as writer executive producer and showrunner jan Demange will direct and executive produce cronenberg will also executive produce and so on I guess it was only a matter of time that they would do this. They first announced they were working on the series version of Scanners in 2017. Scanners was originally released in 81. The film followed a man who discovers he's one of 237 Scanners, people with incredible psychic powers, after he's recruited by a private military contractor to stop an evil Scanner, because why not, named Revoke who was played by Michael Ironside. The film also starred Stephen Lack, Jennifer O'Neill and Patrick McGoon, among others. It went on to achieve cult status, particularly for the infamous sequence in which a scanner's head exploded. Four sequel films have since been released, though Cronenberg was involved with none of them. So this will be a sequel to the first film, I would imagine, ignoring the other three. But not the other four. I don't think it's necessarily a direct sequel. I think it's more just
1: another story that's set in the same world. Going by the description of the TV show's plot, it doesn't really relate much to the actual film anyway. So I suspect that the series is going to be its own thing, and any references to the actual movies will be fairly vague and infrequent. Or they'll just go
0: all in and make it a direct sequel.
1: The way that the actual film ends, I don't see how a direct sequel to the original movie would marry in with that plot as it's been described.
0: I guess we'll see. But I'm not against this idea. I think it could be pretty interesting. I
1: do love the Weirdness of David Cronenberg's movies, and just quite looking forward to seeing uh, people trying to recreate that.
0: And it's finally happening after a long time, if not happening, as these things go, I suppose.
1: Yeah, which is quite often the case with major productions such as this.
0: Okay, let us move on and discuss the next thing. We're going to be getting a sequel to the critically acclaimed Searching, which is a film I absolutely loved, although it's not really a sequel. It's more just another story that uses the same storytelling techniques. This one's called Missing. For those that don't know, searching is a mystery of a disappearing daughter that is told entirely through device screens so like phones and tablets and computer screens and you're reading emails and watching videos and
1: seeing social media posts and reading a piece of comments and then punching people on camera and having that uploaded
0: yeah it was really clever it just told a story that we've seen done a million times before but in a really creative way and now they're going to do it again this isn't going to be the same people because that would be a pretty miserable life, wouldn't it? It's, yeah, you know, yeah, something else has happened again. But this one's going to be written directly by Nick Johnson and Will Merrick. And it's going to be starring Storm Reid, Nia Long, Joaquin D. Almeida, Tim Griffin, Daniel Haney and Amy Landecker. So they're basically just going to use the same techniques to tell another story about someone who's missing. I'm conflicted about this because I loved searching. I was really captivated the first time I saw it. So it makes sense that they would want to do this again because it's something different in terms of storytelling however i do wonder if it'll be derivative i wonder this with horror concepts stuff like it follows or a quiet place and you think oh that's a great idea now find the next high concept thing you can play with instead they just tend to repeat it and it's less impactful the next time around because they've already done it and with lockdown and stuff we've already had a lot of similar sorts of stories with zoom calls and what have you so I do wonder if it's an innovative idea that was innovative and now isn't. I've got similar mixed feelings about this.
1: I also thought Searching was absolutely fantastic. Um, it was definitely one of the highlights of the Edinburgh Film Festival, the year that it was shown when I first saw it. With a title like Missing, it's certainly an indicative of having a very similar story. So I'm just not entirely sure what else they, they think they can do with it, other than to just... Tell a similar story using the same techniques. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying uh, about using that technique for horror films, which instantly like the official name for doing this is called Screen Life. Which I only found out recently, because prior to that I those always, always referred to it as visual epistolary. But uh, anyway, the horror movie host was using this kind of thing uh, about a bunch of friends having a seance over Zoom, which was an absolutely fantastic film. But I'm not convinced that there is much more they can do with this while telling what certainly seems like a very, very similar story and not just have it ending up looking like exactly the same thing, just repeated again.
0: Yeah, definitely. Another example of it that was actually pretty good was called Untitled Horror Movie, which starred friend of the show, Catherine McNamara. It was a similar idea, but it was a bunch of -of out-of-work actors trying to come up with a horror movie and they accidentally summon a demon. As you do. It's pretty good. But yes, I think it's possibly a bit tired and played out now as an idea. That's not to say this won't be any good, but it's also, you know, it's been done a lot. And it's less innovative, like I said, than it was before. But that's not the case with anything. But I do feel like they just lean into these things until they break them. And do we have to call it a sequel to searching? Because it isn't.
1: Exactly. It's just another story using the same idea.
0: Yeah. Anyway, let's move on before we get stuck into doomsaying on that one. The upcoming film Ursa Major, which is a new sci-fi thriller from sibling directors Jonathan and Josh Baker, has cast Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Sochi Gomez. I think that's how you pronounce her name.
1: That's how I would have said it. It's
0: got an X in it. It's weird. But she was in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness as America Chavez, so that's that. They will be playing Charlie and Natalie mother and daughter fighting for survival on an Earth-like planet, hiding from a group of relentless hunters with the added threat of an imminent and deadly storm approaching. But Natalie, now a teenager, has begun to question her mother's decisions, her explanation of who they are, how they got there, and what they need to do to survive. That sounds interesting. It
1: certainly seems like they're going to be playing into a potential ambiguity of the situation, and that the mother might have been lying to her daughter about the situation just to keep her under control and stop her asking questions or trying to explore or travel anywhere. But it certainly sounds like it's going to be an interesting mystery. And also, since both actors aren't strangers to action scenes, there may be some degree of that in it as well.
0: Maybe. But it sounds like an interesting concept, so we'll see how it plays out. Good cast. Next up, Lionsgate is remaking The Strangers, with Madeline pitch to star and Rennie Harlan directing. Also, Gabe Basso and Freud Gutierrez will co-star in the movie, set to become a trilogy of titles, it's a trilogy already. Jeez. Yeah. But it's based on the original 2008 psychological thriller of the same name that, that starred Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler, and was directed by Brian Bertino. The reboot will see Petch play a character who drives cross-country with her longtime boyfriend to begin, played by Gutierrez, to begin a new life in the Pacific Northwest. When the car breaks down in Oregon, they're forced to spend the night in a secluded Airbnb. There's the modernisation where they are terrorised from dusk till dawn by three masked strangers. Harlan is directing. With a script by Alan Eyre Cohen and Alan Friedland, Lionsgate distribute more and wide. I haven't seen the original Strangers. I'm going to guess you have.
1: I have, yes. It was very okay. It was uh, very, very relentless and sinister in a lot of places. But what made it stand out is... A slight departure from these types of films where there's usually some instigating event that causes the crazed killers to target the protagonists, whereas in in that one there was pointedly nothing like that at all. There was a point where Liv Tyler's character actually asked him why are you doing this? So she replied, because you were home. Which was actually really good because it's the idea of these horrific things happening to you for absolutely no reason whatsoever and it was just completely random and unprovoked which really plays into the kinds of fear they have of strangers, as the title suggests. I'm not too sure exactly how they're planning to develop that as a concept without making it seem like another generic home invasion movie. And I'm certainly not sure about why they've already decided it needs to be a trilogy.
0: Yeah, it's a bit bizarre. But
1: presumably, if they are already aiming for that number of films, they must have some ideas of what they're going to do. Though I'm just not too sure that they'll be quite as engaging as they think they're going to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just, let's make something with this name attached so that people will recognise it and then we'll do it. But may not have anything extra to say about anything. Although, good for Madeline Petch. She'll be looking for a job after Riverdale and she's got one. Indeed, yes. Good for her. I don't know if she's any good or not. I haven't seen Riverdale.
1: She's memorable, certainly. Okay. In Riverdale, she plays Cheryl Wassom, who is obnoxious, condescending, rich bitch archetype, who it certainly seems like Madeline Petsch has a lot of fun playing, because the character is so ridiculously over the top, even in the context of Riverdale itself, which is increasingly preposterous.
0: Yeah, was there not something in which she had magical powers recently? Yeah, because she was a witch.
1: Well, that, in this latest season, they're actually flung into this alternate reality, which was somehow created by Veronica's father attempting to murder Archie by blowing up his house. And the explosion somehow threw the town into this alternate reality where everyone starts developing comic book-style superpowers, and they end up having to fight against this sinister character from the Civil War who made a deal with the devil for immortality. (laughs) It is just as utterly ridiculous as that sounds.
0: Didn't it start life as just a high school drama?
1: Yes, it did. <laughs> and from there, got increasingly mental with each successive series.
0: Yeah, I know that Sabrina turned up with a crossover from the Netflix yeah. Sabrina show.
1: That was part of Cheryl's witchy powers were coming into things. Oh, okay. And Sabrina showed up to show how to harness her powers and also how to retrieve the souls of their family members from hell after they'd been murdered. I feel like I kind of have to watch this show now. And what's so surreal about it is the fact that it's all played completely straight. There's not knowing winks or any kind of camp tone to it. It's all presented as oh this is completely rational and plausible and this is exactly the kind of thing that could happen, and it just happens to be happening here.
0: <laughs> it reminds me slightly of the Nancy Drew CW series, although that had the supernatural baked into it from the first episode. So the fact that they're encountering ghosts and curses and stuff didn't seem out of place. I'd never actually watched that. It's alright, I've seen the first season, but I haven't watched any more of it, which probably tells you how good it is. (laughs) I didn't hate the first season, it was just one of those things where I didn't feel especially compelled to make sure I rushed to watch the second season. You get that sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. I did not expect that conversation to go there, but there we (laughs) did. That's why I put these things on the list. Exactly. We're getting a follow-up to Blade Runner 2049, called Blade Runner 2099. It's going to be an Amazon Prime TV series, and Ridley Scott is going to be producing And that's all it really says. Someone with a lot of money must be really interested in Blade Runner, because it never does well, but it keeps coming back.
1: I certainly don't have any objection to this, just because I absolutely adore the aesthetics of cyberpunk, so literally anything to do with that, I will happily devour regardless of how terrible it might be. With Blade Runner, well, as a franchise that is it's now becoming, it's very heavily rooted in the existential exploration of the nature of identity and what exactly is it that makes you who you truly are. And if your experiences and memories could be fabricated, would that then make you a different person? And I think there is a lot of potential in exploring that in the time that the length of a TV series would give you. And also, I mentioned that the production company making the series is the same one that was behind The Expanse, which I thought was done spectacularly. So if we can expect the same level of production values, then I think this is definitely going to be something
0: to look forward to. Yeah, well, I love 2049. I thought that was really good. And I thought it was a shame it flopped in the way that it did. And it made me worried about June as well, because it seems that Denis Villeneuve just makes really high-budget things that don't make any money that are actually very good. So the fact that that flopped was a shame, but it's good that they're continuing on with it and they'll give it a go as a TV series. Maybe it'll be more at home as a TV series, because I actually thought 2049 was essentially a collection of vignettes, short stories that were smashed together to explore different philip k dick sci-fi concepts so i don't think it necessarily worked as a flowing narrative it was more just and now we have this short film and now we have this short film and then they tried to weave them all together towards the end in some way
1: yeah that's pretty much how i saw it. a lot of good ideas but not ones that fit together very well in any kind of coherent narrative
0: and then they forced harrison ford in, even though this film could have done without him.
1: Yeah, and also the fact that that there is very little nowadays that Harrison Ford cares about.
0: Yes, that is true. Anyway, we'll look forward to seeing this if it comes to pass. Seems like it might. Next up, we have a shake-up in the House of the Dragon adaptation. One of the showrunners is leaving. Miguel Sapochnik is stepping down, citing exhaustion, pouring three years of effort into the Game of Thrones prequel. So it's going to be down to one showrunner. Ryan Condal. And that's basically about it. It doesn't say anything. I bet you the statement isn't entirely the truth as well. Is it just burnout? Is there some needling going on there? Who knows? The closest
1: to any actual explanation was, was him stating that him leaving show was the right choice, personally and professionally. <laughs> Which, as an explanation, is incredibly ambiguous and can be interpreted in multiple ways.
0: I'm really tired, so I'm not doing this anymore is essentially what they've tried to say.
1: Yeah, it just makes you a little sceptical. That's all, all there is to it.
0: I haven't been watching the show, but apparently it's good, according to people that like that sort of thing.
1: It's it's okay, really. Just because I was just so incredibly soured on anything Game of Thrones related, by like the drastically and swiftly deteriorating quality of its final seasons, that uh, left me feeling pretty indifferent towards anything to do with it. And the idea of this series, one that's set like, about 200 years prior to when Game of Thrones starts... It just seems like more of the same, really, intriguing backstabbing in the court of a dynastic ruler of a small empire, fantasy nations. But there's not a great deal about it that's that distinctive from what his parents show showed, I suppose. And also, when you have the central character of a king who is doing his best to create a legacy that would benefit the nation and ultimately better the world, it kind of falls a bit flat when you already know that the dynasty in question ends in incest, insanity, and murder. Lovely. Personally, I was finding there's not that much about it to engage. And I also got this habit of throwing massive time skips as well. The first three episodes they take place over about five years, and from that we can only infer that everything that happens in between these episodes was so inconsequential that there's not point even mentioning it, never mind showing it. I actually wonder just how much of it we're seeing is actually going to be of any consequence.
0: We'll see if it can continue. Well, I won't. But people will see if it can continue with one showrunner and whether they can sustain it or whether the other one was propping things up significantly. Shows often change when people step down massively in different ways One
1: example that comes to mind is Red Dwarf which, if you're unaware, is a British sci-fi comedy series which has been made on and off since the late 80s and for years it was written by two guys in collaboration but then after one of them left maybe because he just didn't want to do it anymore the quality of the writing took an absolute nosedive and it struggled to just be as interesting or as funny as it had been when it was both of them
0: Yeah, so who knows how this will shake out There's a question around that, but it's a bit of a concern this early in the show's life.
1: Yeah, and as much as the ambiguity of the reason for it just makes me think there's a lot more going on that we're not being told.
0: There usually is. Anyway, let's move on. We have some news on the Attack the Block sequel. John Boyega is helping shape the story for the anticipated follow-up. In an interview with Collider, he said how his producer duties were impacting his involvement with the film's script. According to Boyega, the story is being presented by both him and Attack the Block writer and director, Joe Carnish. And he said, We've collaborated heavily on making a story that makes sense for Moses and the other characters, and the new characters that will be coming up in the sequel too. The actor producers then And then, also, there's different perspectives in writing it, with Joe having his perspective and me having mine. Attack the Block, followed by Agus Moses, a young gang leader-turned-local-hero who uses his street smarts to fight an alien invasion. So, a sequel to that? Do we need that? I don't know. I like the original. Uh, Jodie Whittaker in it as well, actually.
1: I did, yes. Also, the guy who played Jax on The Flash in Legends of Tomorrow. Ah, oh, yeah. Franz Draney. I'm not sure if that's his surname.
0: Basically, all British black actors.
1: Pretty
0: much, yeah. (laughs) Young British black actors, should I say, were in that film at that time. Some of which went on to be successful and some of which didn't. Indeed. But a sequel to it, I don't know if there's a place for it. I don't know if there's a follow-on from that story. From what I remember, I haven't seen it in a long time, but it did seem pretty open and shut, didn't it, by the end? Although Joe Carnish is back, so who knows?
1: Yeah, it's it's certainly a very self-contained story. So maybe the sequel is something to do with more of the aliens who came in the first movie investigating what happened. It's one of those stories where it pretty much said what it had to say in the first movie, and I'm not sure what else there is to say. The fact that Joe Cornish and John Boyega are both involved in it certainly is encouraging, and I don't think it's going to be as throwaway as, as it might otherwise have been if they hadn't. But not sure where it might go.
0: The Independence Day model then. Aliens previously invaded, they will invade again, and we have to deal with it again. It's been so many years, and we have to deal with it now. That'll be the potential plot. Sounds about right. It was good. I should watch it again, actually. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I don't think I've seen it since it was out, actually. In 2011, if you want to feel really old.
1: Yeah, that's what, that's what I thought. Over a decade.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, John Boyega was really young in it.
1: Yeah, I think he was like 19 or something.
0: Yeah, something like that. So not that young, but
1: young. Towards the end of the film, I remember it turned out that his character was actually like 15.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on, we're approaching the end of our list. Benedict Cumberbatch and Mark Strong have joined Jodie Comer on the cast of The End We Start From. It's based on a novel by Megan Hunter and adapted for the screen by Alice Birch. It's about an environmental crisis, seeing London submerged by floodwaters and a young family being torn apart in the chaos. With London being submerged by floodwaters, do you think they would allow film screenings outside London if that happened, or if they would still somehow only be there? Press screenings, I should say. Not just film screenings.
1: As we are all painfully aware, London is in fact the centre of the known universe. Uh, So there is very, very little of any kind of consequence that happens out with the confines of the M25.
0: So your answer is, no, there wouldn't be press screenings outside of London if the whole place was flooded.
1: Pretty much, yeah. It would be nice to think that there would be, but most people in London, especially in the world of media, are so London-centric it might genuinely not occur to them.
0: Yeah. Jodie Comer said about the film, my character is extraordinary. Both her very personal life and the world around her have been turned upside down and she's dealing with the unknown at every turn. Her story is about the quiet heroics of determination, devotion, bravery and love. It's a unique take on the survival film, apparently, one that feels in tune with the climate crisis we are experiencing now. It delivers an honest look at the nature of a hero, someone forced to be brave who sometimes can't be. It's incredible to be working with such an extraordinary cast, bringing this human, primal and ultimately hopeful story to life. That was the director that said that.
1: Sounds like a lot of words saying not very much.
0: Yeah, but it's got a good cast. Jodie Comer is on the up considerably. She's probably going to be the invisible woman in the Fantastic Four. Wouldn't surprise me. She was good in, I think, the only thing I've seen her in, which was Free Guy.
1: Yeah, she was. And also the series which most people would associate with her killing Eve. Yeah, I'm not seeing that. she was engagingly psychotic.
0: Okay, so we've got Cumberbatch, Mark Strong. I like them too, especially Mark Strong.
1: He doesn't get enough decent roles. No, he
0: doesn't. But there's not a lot to say about that. It's a film about drowned London and people surviving.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: It's a good acting film, I suppose. And our last item, we're getting another Cloverfield film. Yay! And it's going to be directed by... Babak and Vare. Although it's very weird the way that they've chosen to word it on Deadline, they said, following the success of Top Gun, Maverick and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Paramount Pictures is looking to get the wheels turning on another popular franchise. Yes, because those two make you think, let's get Cloverfield back, (laughs) apparently. Yeah,
1: because if there's anything that makes you think gigantic rampaging alien, it's homoerotic fighter pilots and a supersonic blue hedgehog.
0: Yeah, although the question is whether this Cloverfield film will be connected as intrinsically to the original film as the cloverfield paradox was which was very awful oh god yes it seemed for a while that cloverfield was going to be an anthology brand of just weird sci-fi stories
1: yeah that certainly seemed like the original plan but then they decided that everything then needs to be a shared universe
0: yeah cloverfield was a monster movie and then 10 cloverfield lane was the turned out spoilers alien invasion at the end but it was a claustrophobic, crazy guy in a basement thing for most of it. And then the Cloverfield paradox was, I still don't know what that film Nonsense. Yeah, utter tripe is what it was. And there was that zombie film, I forget what it was called, that was originally a Cloverfield film and then turned out not to be.
1: Oh, God. Life, was it?
0: No, it was a World War II zombie thing. To the internet. Overlord was what it was called.
1: All right. I do not recall any mention of that. It's supposed to be a Cloverfield movie.
0: By the time it came out, it wasn't but early on in production it was supposed to be one and then they changed it. I I completely missed that. I don't think Life was ever supposed to be a Cloverfield movie, although maybe it was.
1: Actually, now think about it. I think what it was is the people were thinking it was going to be an alien movie.
0: Yeah, or a Venom prequel. Yeah. And A Quiet Place started Life as a Cloverfield movie as well.
1: That makes more sense.
0: And then wasn't one.
1: Not a lot more sense, but
0: some. I think that was more in the line of anthologised, weird sci-fi stories. Yeah, Sort of like a cinematic twilight zone
1: which actually would have been quite a nice way to do it because it means that you would go into each film without any specific expectations
0: yeah i think it's one of the more interesting things about the cloverfield franchise is watching people because i can't be bothered doing it myself but watching people make the connections between them and i think there's background material about john goodman's character that connects them to characters in the first Cloverfield movie and things like that. They deliberately drop in these little red herrings. And I know there was all sorts of viral marketing around the first Cloverfield movie around slush and the corporation and whatever that was part of it and deep sea drilling and all this stuff that just added to the mystique of the film. It was like a modern day Blair Witch in that way where the anticipation of the film and all the clues that they were throwing on the internet and things was more interesting than the actual final product <laughs> itself. But I liked the first Cloverfield film. I thought it was really well done. I did too, actually. Very early role for Odette, as she was known at the time, Yosman
1: Indeed, yes. And was also a rare example of a found footage movie that wasn't complete
0: garbage. T.J. Miller was in it, but well, let's not talk about him. Indeed. But they haven't said anything about what this film will be, which doesn't surprise me. Just that they're doing it, and it may change before it comes out, or it may not happen at all, after this point.
1: The choice of director is actually quite an encouraging one. The debut movie of Babak Anvari, which maybe in 2016, was a film that he, he made in his native Iran, which was called Under the Shadow, which was about this woman who was attempting to survive during the Iran-Iraq war in the 80s. And she and her daughter become targeted by a malevolent jinn. So it's kind of like a glorified haunted house kind of movie, but... One that was done exceptionally well. Pervasively creepy. Really good ideas. Some jump scares that weren't absolutely obvious or heavily telegraphed. I also found time to actually make some points with the horror concept that it was driven by. Um, Ones uh, about women's rights in Iran, which were actually interesting enough in and of themselves. But also weaving them around the horror concept just made it even more engaging. Fantastic film. I would really recommend it.
0: He also directed a film called Wounds, which starred Army Hammer and Zazie Beats, which premiered at Sundance 2019. And he directed a Netflix film, I Came By, which stars George Mackay, Kelly MacDonald, and Hugh Bonneville. That was only out about a month or so ago.
1: Yes, and I can't remember how I found out about it because there was literally no marketing for it whatsoever. It just kind of <laughs> appeared one day, like a lot of Netflix films. It kind of just appeared and you're expected to just know that it was there.
0: But they can't do that with Batgirl on HBO Max apparently. Just chuck it on. No marketing.
1: Yeah, I'm still angry about that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, nothing more to say about that. It could be good. We'll watch this space and we'll see how the development goes over subsequent news podcasts. But that is it. September is up. Busy month with D23 and Star Trek Day and everything else going on. So that's it. We've given you a list of stuff that might be interesting to you coming up in the future who knows andrew thanks for joining me for this conversation about various things that are coming out always a pleasure i want to thank neil stenson for the supplied music if you enjoyed what you heard here please do hit that subscribe button on apple podcasts spotify anywhere you get your podcasts you can subscribe it'll be on your feed. and as always we would really like it if you could give us a rating most apps do let you rate in the app itself but the main places are spotify and apple podcasts who tend to use a star rating system and andrew i will ask you what the number of stars would be like
1: that would be the same number of digits that you have on your left hand unless you are a member of
0: the yakuza that would be five for those who don't know please do that and throw us a comment as well we will always appreciate that it helps us Grow in the algorithms. The algorithms are ignoring us. Help us not be ignored by the algorithms, please. If you want to discuss anything that we discussed here, or anything else, really, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or you can leave us a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pot.